Welcome to Death Holler. Do you like scary movies? Welcome to Season 3. Slash or pass. There will be laughter. <laughs> tears. <laughs> tender moments. Jeez. Jeez. My special, special boy. But most of all, screams. <laughs> Remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you have a killer time. Next up, we've got Scream 2 from 1997, the sequel. Tagline, Scream Again. Simple, <laughs> but I guess it's effective. Simple, but effective, yep. Uh, directed by Wes Craven again. Written by Kevin Williamson again. Music again by Marco Beltrami. Budget on this one was slightly higher at $24 million. Uh, made $172.4 million box office. Fucking A, dude. These movies were just raking in the cash for Miramax. Uh, principal players again. We got Nev Campbell as our final girl, Sydney Prescott. Uh, Chris Durand uh, came in as uh, Ghostface in this one. Um, he uh, was a stuntman and demolition man, smoking, uh, smoking aces and Armageddon. Uh, Laurie Metcalf uh, plays Debbie Salt slash Nancy Loomis in this movie, mm-hmm. who uh, Billy's mom out for revenge. Um, and of course, she's mostly known for her character on Roseanne, Roseanne's sister. Oh, yeah. Jackie. Uh, she was also the, the Sheldon's mom on the Big Bang Theory and uh, was more recently in the movie Lady Bird that came out. Um, Timothy Oliphant plays Mickey Altieri, uh, who Derek's friend, quote-unquote, uh, and uh, young Ted Bundy. Um, <laughs> and then Timothy Oliphant, uh, famous for being Raylan Givens and Justified, uh, more recently played in the book of Boba Fett, was in the Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. and uh, was in The Crazies, the 2010 remake of George, George Romero movie, uh, which I know that movie gets a lot of shit, but I thought it was actually pretty decent myself. But uh, we'll cover that during, uh, I guess, zombie season, technically. Yeah. They're not, although they're not really zombies in that. Uh, David Arquette reprises the role of Dewey Riley. This time he's a freelance, he's freelance protection for Sid and uh, a slightly wiser doofy in this movie. Um, Older and wiser. Yeah. 
Uh, Court, he's a whole 25 in this movie. Woo! <laughs> Uh, Courtney Cox returns as Gail Weathers. Uh, she's still a cutthroat reporter and author, and actually an author in this movie because she went on to write the Woodsboro Murders and became famous over it. Uh, Jamie Kennedy comes back as Randall Randy Meeks, uh, still pining after Sydney um, and still friend-zoned, unfortunately. Uh, but he did get laid, so that's the reason he gets ganked. Leave <laughs> uh, Schreiber... Uh, uh, pops in. He was in the first movie, although I didn't list it because it was like a bit role, but he does return in this one in a more prominent role as Cotton Weary, the uh, falsely accused killer of Maureen Prescott. To be fair, Drew Barrymore was also a bit role. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Lee Schreiber, like literally, I feel like he was in one scene, like at the end, whenever, like, or something, whatever, like, or like in the movie where they were like showing that, you know, uh, Sydney's past or whatever and what happened to Maureen, and like, you know, he's all pissed off saying that, you know, it was that, that you know, she didn't have all the facts and she wrongly accused him and all this stuff because that was Gail's whole thing in the first movie. She was yeah. almost trying to prove that Cotton was not the real killer, so. Which he wasn't. Uh, no, but I don't like the retcon they do in part three when we get to that one either, mm, but yeah. we'll save it. Um, Omar Epps uh, pops in as mm -hmm. uh, Phil Stevens, an unlikely moviegoer, and with one of the most hateful women on the planet, uh, is his date. Uh, Omar Epps was in Dracula 2000, uh, that trick movie that I mentioned earlier that uh, Jamie Kennedy was in, uh, Higher Learning. And Don't Be a Menace, where he played the same exact character, one being a parody of the other movie. Oh, shit. And, um, and then The Devil You Know. And then Jada Pinkett Smith plays Maureen Evans, and you better get her name out your fucking mouth. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about her, because we don't need to speak about her, or Will Smith's going to come in here and slap one of us. Oh, shit. <clears throat> or cry, because, yeah. you know... He's been, been hurt, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller plays KCCC Super or Cooper mm -hmm. and um, uh, Sydney's friend and housemate. Uh, of course, known for Buffy the Vampire Slayer primarily. She was also uh, Daphne in the Scooby Doo live action movies opposite Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, and Matthew Lillard and Linda Cardellini. Um, and then I Know What You Did Last Summer. She was in that movie. And she was in Cruel Intentions, which is the movie that she, it's like her version of Nev Campbell's Wild mm -hmm. Things. Because, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Everybody remembers her and uh, her willingness to do anything it took to get ahead in that movie. So, uh, Philip Pavel plays Officer Andrew, who's just meat for the grist mill. Uh, Christopher Dole plays Officer Richards. Uh, send more cops because we can always kill more of them. Uh, Elsie Neal plays Hallie McDaniel, Sydney's best friend. Uh, and then Jerry O'Connell plays Derek Feldman, Sydney's boyfriend in this movie, uh, who's, uh, who's known uh, for being, you know, an overweight child and stand by me, although he grew up to, you know, be quite a, a bit more handsome, I guess you would say, and, and got all, he was tied to a lot of attractive women in Hollywood. He married one, um, too. Yeah, uh, including Satanic Panic that he filmed with Rebecca Romaine, uh, mm -hmm. that you know, that he married. <clears throat> uh, Sliders and the Big Bang Theory, he played uh, Sheldon's brother, which is funny because Lori Metcalf, Metcalf played his, his mother, so there's kind of a family thing going on there. Oh my god, 
And then the stab stars of the movie are Heather Graham, who plays Casey Becker, uh, Luke Wilson, who plays Billy Loomis, which is hilarious yes. because uh, Luke Wilson definitely does not have skeet auric energy at all. No. You know? uh, and then Tori Spelling, who plays Sidney Prescott, which is also terrible, but, you know, it is what it is. Let's uh, be honest synops- with those three. Heather Graham is the only one who nailed being Drew Barrymore's character of yes. Casey. And Luke Wilson, even though, like, he nailed the lines, he didn't have the, you know, the, the I don't know, the... Stab looked like a parody yes, of Scream. For sure. It's with him with him and that character. And then Tori Spelling was just no all around. <laughs> it just got worse. It did get worse. Uh, synopsis for this movie. Sydney, trying to move on from the trauma at Woodsboro, is attending Windsor College and using the luxury of color ID to screen out the ghost face <laughs> prank calls. Uh, tragedy strikes again, however, when a copycat killer begins stalking college students when names matching aspects of the original Woodsboro murder victims. Uh, Buffy is thrown from a balcony. Randy still doesn't get the girl but does get shanked. And Raylan Givens wants to be part of the trial of the century. Someone has taken their love of sequels one step too far. Uh, Body count in this movie is 11 counted, 12 uncounted. We have Phil Stevens, who is uh, stabbed in the head by Mickey Altieri. Maureen Evans, which is funny because that particular scene is the exact scene that Ray is mimicking. And I I laugh and I always comment when I look at my wife when we're watching Scream 2. I was like, this scene where Ray gets the dick through his ear. Oh, yeah. Maureen Evans uh, gets stabbed a whole bunch of times by Mickey Altieri, and then Will Smith small, uh, shows up and smacks Ghostface. Um, C.C. Cooper is stabbed a bunch, thrown three stories down by Mickey Altieri. Randy Meeks is stabbed a bunch off screen, and his throat slit by Nancy Loomis. Uh, Officer Andrews has his throat slit by Mickey. Officer Richards is uh, pipe impaled through head by Mickey, <sighs> which is one of the better kills in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hallie McDaniel is stabbed in the chest a whole bunch by Mickey. Derek Feldman is shot in the chest by Mickey. Nancy uh, Loomis is shot in the neck by Cotton Weary. And then Mickey is shot many times, uh, <laughs> so much by, uh, and a lot of them by Sydney and Gail Weathers. And then non counted deaths is stabbed Casey because uh, she's stabbed on the cinema screen by the movie Stu Mocker uh, while Maureen is being killed. Um, so they kind of get like another little, you know, fake kill in there. Yeah. Quotes to Randy from the trailer. Uh, the way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel, you know, cashing on a movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, which it is, they, they live up to that. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate, which they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, carnage candy. Yep. Uh, and number three, never, ever, under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead, which, you know, obviously with Mickey, uh, he's almost like a Michael Myers. The oh, way yeah. He comes back after being shot so many times. Uh, Randy, uh, stab two. Who would want to do that? Sequels suck. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, sequels are inferior films, which is hilarious. <laughs> That's a meta commentary about the movie they're making. Yes. Uh, phone voice. What's your favorite scary movie? Randy Showgirls. Absolutely frightening. What's yours? <laughs> <laughs> Again, going back to poor Elizabeth yeah. Berkeley on that one. 
Randy, oh yeah? Well, let's redirect the moment, Mr. I'm So Original. Where's your motivation, huh? What copy? Uh, why copy yourself off of two high school losers, uh, loser-ass dickheads? Stu was a pussy-ass wet rag. And Billy Loomis? Billy Loomis? What the fuck? Jesus. Talk about a rat-looking homo-repressed mama's <gasps> Why not set your goals higher, huh? You want to be one of the big boys, huh? Manson, Bundy, OJ, son of, you know, and then he's cut off. Uh, two points about that. First of all, he brings up the whole, the, the sexually repressed yes. Billy that could that we mentioned, so bonus points for that. But he mentions OJ. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Dewey, when did she start smoking? Randy, ever since those nude pictures on the internet. And then Gail, it was just my head. It was Jennifer Aniston's body. That was fucking, I was dying when I heard that. I was like, oh. And I wonder if they had to get permission from Jennifer Aniston. Um, I don't know. She, well, They were still filming Friends, so she probably brought it up to her, and they probably had a good laugh or yeah, something Yeah, and it, it. It's not, it was in a good light. Like, it's talking good about Jennifer Aniston, so, you know. Which, Speaking about that, Courtney Cox was hot in this movie. Yes. Like, I mean, uh, the, the something about that red in her hair. Like, oh, her I blue loved eyes, like, it. Stand out that much more. I loved it. I remember that was such a thing back then, and I could never afford to get that exact look, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, and it. my wife tried that at one point in time around, the, uh, it was a little after this movie, but, like, it was either with blue or red, either one of them did not stick. Like, you were constantly having to have that shit reapplied. It oh, was yeah. Awful. I did it when I finally could afford it. Uh, I did purple, um, and now I'm, I know better ways to do it, as I have a child that likes to have colored hair, and we know a healthier and a long-term version of it, but it's it wasn't easy, and it, for me, it was super expensive. Well, back in the day, it was like ble- you had to bleach it first, which damaged the hair, and mm-hmm. then you had to like you know add all the stuff, and then it would only last for like a week, and oh then. Oh God. Yep. Uh, Sydney Prescott, I want to know who it is. Uh, and then Hallie was like, no, no, Sid. And Sydney Prescott, I'm going back. And then Hallie, stupid people go back. Smart people run. We're smart people, so we should get the fuck out of here. And I bring that up because this is by far, and it will be brought up in the Death Holler Awards, the stupidest moment mm-hmm. that Sydney ever has in the entire fucking series. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, getting into the movie, visuals. Uh, the kills were better, as we said. Uh, yeah. The pipe scene, for sure. Oh, God. Um the, the the just the the crunch uh, when you know CC was thrown from the balcony that that was pretty impactful um and then um the the blood running out from underneath a van after Randy was oh stabbed, yeah that was brutal yes I wonder how many gallons they used in this one do you have that number <laughs> I don't know that I have it in this one but uh it, it I mean it was up there but uh this <sighs> This movie was, uh, there was less nighttime scenes in this one. I feel like everything was brightly lit in this movie. Like, cause they were either inside of the, you know, a house that was brightly lit uh, at a party that was brightly lit. Even if it was outside during the nighttime on stage under the stage lights or, you know, just the middle of the day, like in a sunny California, you know, college. So this movie didn't really have like the good nighttime contrast that the first movie had. Uh, it didn't, and even the night scenes were even very well lit. Yeah, like the scene with the cops and the pipe yeah. that we mentioned with the, the car. Like, it was very well lit. Like, they had, like, I mean, you know, it, just, it was like there was, like, flood lamps, like, set up, which yeah. there probably was, but, I mean, that's what it looked like. Yeah, so, I mean, which is good, because you want to be able to see what you're you're looking at, you know? Yeah, the only problem is that I just feel like it, it I don't know, it, it felt a little... 
less realistic that way. Yeah, like, it did feel really, everything know. felt staged. Yeah, yeah, that's well, that's the perfect way to describe it because it literally yeah. they were on a stage at mm -hmm. one point. So yeah, I mean, perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Uh, the, I will say this though, speaking about stage, the visuals for that scene where Sydney is like trying to still act for, uh, David Warner's character, which I didn't mention, but, yeah. uh, RIP to him. Like he plays the perfect college professor. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the character that they kind of stole for, um, uh, scary movie Two, The one that, um, um, Tim Curry played or whatever, oh, you know, yeah. like, it, it's kind of, kind of the same character, but anyways, um, that scene where she's running away from those Greek masks or whatever on stage, that was pretty creepy and, and well, and well done. I'll yeah. Give them that. And I think they mixed in Ghostface really well. Yeah. It only popped up in like flashes and then it turns out it was on Sydney's mind or was it, you know, I mean, yeah. it was, well, you that's know. the thing is like, why I would never even, well, maybe a college professor might be like, Oh, it's uh, it's poetic, you know, like she's reliving what she's already been through. Only this is through a Greek fucking play. But I'm like, that's fucking traumatic as fuck. Yeah. It was almost like something Wes Craven would have done to uh, Drew Barrymore. Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's like live through this trauma and now act. You yeah. Know? Uh, ghost face is, Ghostface. I mean, it's, the, it's yeah. the same setup. I mean, there's really no alterations in this movie whatsoever on that front. Um, they uh, they did a little bit different since the main character, the main bad bad guys didn't get actually stabbed in this movie. Um, they were just shot. It was a little bit different that way. But yeah. I mean, the blood effects, like you know, especially Timothy Oliphant, like bleeding from his mouth and everything, looked good. Yeah, um, I think the scene where uh, Sid's boyfriend got shot right in the chest—that was pretty fucking insane. Yeah, uh, that was crazy uh, and out of nowhere. And then the scene that was brutal was the scene with Dewey. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, Bill had to watch as he gets stabbed through that. You know, like. Uh, you know, while he was inside that recording studio or what it was. Yeah. That was, that was, I mean, there was a lot of blood in that scene. Oh, yeah. Um, anything else you want to add to the visuals? That's pretty much what I remember from it, but. Trying to think, because, I mean, other than the fact that it, everything looking staged, I didn't particularly like that. Um, trying to think if there was anything else that stood out. I, I can't, not at the top of my head, so. Yeah, it's it's not as memorable in that mm -mm. way as the first one. It just no. isn't. Um, the story, um, it's interesting. Uh, it's a neat twist on the sequel thing. You know, a lot of horror sequels take place in you know hospitals, so it's or slasher sequels. So it's funny that this one takes place in a college. Yeah, that one at that. Uh, and then, of course, them dealing with Sydney's trauma, which is the first time really ever that that's been addressed for a final girl, which is good. You yeah, know, a really good idea. Um, it's very human. Know, it is. I feel like the stuff with uh, I, I feel like the stuff with her boyfriend in the movie though, Derek, it was a little too schmaltzy because yeah. I don't feel like somebody that went through what she did with Billy would be that. I mean, she is closed off to Derek, but not to the extent that I mean, I know she's trying to open up in the movie, but that first scene for poor Randy especially where he's sitting there and he's talking to her and he's all puppy dog eyed and then Derek walks in and just like you know they're like smooching like oh you know, yeah and I feel like that's a little too I feel like I feel like Sydney should have been a little bit more 
you know, like closed off from him, like, you know, at the beginning. And then it would have worked better if she would have like opened up to him right before he got killed. Cause yeah. then he would have like been pulling the rug out from under her at that point. Yeah. Um, I feel like to me, it felt like she was kind of pushed into that by the boyfriend, not saying that he, you know, sexually assaulted her or anything by any means. I'm not trying to go that route. I'm trying to say that he is an outsider. So he doesn't really understand what she's been through. So he's just very uh, enthusiastic about the relationship and, you know, everything. And she wants to be, so she's kind of just going with it, you know? Um, That makes sense. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from it because Nev Campbell has a really good way of looking reserved about a lot of things, and she did look reserved. So, yeah, that's true. And then they, the one part they did well, even though I, it gets on my nerves just because it's so cutesy, is that scene where he's like, you know, sing that song, Ugh. you know, what am I so afraid of or whatever. Yeah. And then, like, you know, she has that look at first. It's like, you know, don't, don't do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then, uh, but it's, I don't know. They're, <laughs> I, this is probably the, the the best sequel. I think that's pretty much established by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's there's a lot to me that that doesn't live up to the original in this one by oh, any means. One hundred percent. I mean it. Uh, it definitely went downhill, but it was definitely a movie I would not have been upset if I had gone to a theater to watch it. Because there are certain movies you go to a theater and you're like, "Fuck," you know. I could have waited for that to come out. I wouldn't have felt that way with this one. I feel like, well, no, I, I can't say that. I don't know I, what I remember about this movie because I don't know that I saw it in the theater. I, mm-hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember but either. But I do, I do remember one thing. I, I, and I, it's taken me years, but I was always pissed at them killing Randy. Uh, it, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, when they did that, I was just, I know the impact it's supposed to have. It's yes. supposed to be like, this is a love character. You you know, it's like, oh, you know, anybody can be killed, even Sid. But then when I, but w- even watching it, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding yeah. me. Like, I mean. Watching it again, I was like, like is he going to live? Because Dewey got fucking slashed like a motherfucker, and he lived. Yeah, and, and then he had a trauma that caused him to have a limp, which yeah. disappeared, you know, yes. the movie after that, so. <laughs> which I did, it was funny because when they were pulling him out of this film, when at the end, when they were kind of pulling him out, and she's like, Dewey! I feel like, they're like, yeah, they got him right on the, um, on the, uh, scar tissue, is what they said, and I'm like, okay, so is that why he lost his, like, some kind of reverse, you know, like <laughs> procedure that managed to get him to walk normally for the most part. No, there's a reason they give and I'll get into the trivia. It's okay. a bullshit reason. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's not the reason they give, but that's funny <laughs> that you say that. Yeah. I was like, cause I was like, why did they say that? Like they got him right on the scar tissue. Like is the, did that prevent him from dying? Is that a thing? <laughs> you're you're, you're the doctor it, here. It does, No, no, it wouldn't. And that's okay. plot armor to the utmost extent. Um, I just, I, and I hated how they did the Randy thing too, because Dewey, which is, I mean, spoiler, but you know, anybody who's followed this should know this, like part five does eventually meet his end, but at least in that movie, even if there's a bit of dumbness to it that I, that I still am aggravated about, but they give him a hero send off. Uh, they yeah. don't do that to Randy. Uh, they, no. they have Randy deliberately split up from the group, which I think is fucking stupid. Stupid. He, you know? and he knows better. Yeah, yeah, he's the one laying out the rules for everybody, and then he's just like, I'm going to go looking on my own, and then, like, leaves, you know, and if nothing else, he should have at least taken somebody with him because, I mean, Dewey 
pairs off with Gail. So at least yeah. they're, you know, the two of them are together. And then Randy just goes off on his own, you know. And yeah. Then I, I just don't, it, it, they didn't give Randy the respect, I feel like, in his death in this movie. I would have been fine if they'd killed him, if they've done it a different way. But it's just like he's randomly, uh, you know, pulled into Gail's like news van and then like, you know, or a news van and then like, you know, killed off and that's it, you know, and then like he and it's just dumb. And not only that, you have to think, that in this particular scene, he was technically killed by Billy Loomis's mom. Yes. I'm not buying that any woman portraying Ghostface had the strength of any man in this film whatsoever. No, no. I mean, even if you take the lanky, nerdy, you know, uh, you know, Randy. He had reach on her, if nothing else. We've already discussed this. Yeah. I mean, I, and Laurie Metcalf is not six, you know, foot tall or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to, you know. And and you said, uh, was, Matt, was it Matthew Lillard or uh, was it Jamie Kennedy that was six four? I think it was Lillard that Lillard was six four, and um, yeah. Jamie Kennedy was six foot. So still, yeah. yeah there's there's no. I, I just it's it's uh, it, it's just a bad way for me to get taken out. But mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like this movie is it does like what sequels do it's like you take the original but then you like do the carbon copy thing to a certain extent change a few it changes it a little bit but it's it's a diminished you know product versus what the it's not as sharp as the original and that that kind of plays into the death of brandy especially yeah um I don't know. Is there anything that you want to add about the story? Like there's not, I mean, it's pretty rote in my opinion. There's not a whole lot that, you know, really is different about it. Um, you got, you, you got this alleged obsessed mom that, you know, is uh, avenging her son's death. But where the fuck were you when you decided to take off? Yeah. They, you that's know? never addressed. You killed my baby. Bitch, you, you left your baby and not only that, it, like, it would be one thing if she didn't try to avenge him. It was just like, you know what? You're the reason I left. Your mom was the reason I left my fucking husband, and I missed out on time with my son. And tr- accusing her, even though clearly it's it's her fault for leaving her son, you know, maybe if they had stor- directed it that way, it would make a little bit more sense. But again, this is the first introduction to a woman, girl, ghost face killer. And again not buying that any woman has the strength of Jason Voorhees, basically, you know, I can understand the guy where the scenes where the guy is the killer, you know, doing some of the things that's happening, but I'm not seeing her other than the element of surprise, even the stab motions. I'm not buying either. Well, here's a question for you. How do you feel about how they worked her into the movie? Because they, they have her as a, it's like a Gail Weathers wannabe in the movie yes. uh, when she's Debbie Salt. And um, that's their way of keeping her in the film without like really revealing who she is until the final reel. Yeah. But I, I don't know, like it, it's, it was a weird, weird, in my opinion, it was a weird way to get her into the movie, having her as like a, uh, uh, kind of like a pseudo Gail. Like, I, I don't know if, if they, if they could have had her as like a house mother for like the sorority or something like that, that, yeah. you know, that, that would have been like, you know, and, and maybe it would have, it, it would have been harder to describe why she'd been at that dorm for that long, you know, having give her like, you know, uh, her story, but I don't, but it's just, 
just something about her just being like part of the paparazzi, you know, news team. Just it, it's it's okay, but it's not like the best thing in my opinion. Yeah, I you know I would say that it was weird, except for in my mind, I can't think of another way she would have been introduced. I mean, you you named off a few and everything, and I guess I just am like, well, I mean, yeah, I think one thing that Noah brings up. Is that and even Gail kind of uh, backs us up a little bit. Gail always says you have to basically you have to be the bitch. You have to be the person that nobody likes in order to get what you want in terms of telling a story or being a journalist. And in this particular case, I could see someone as insane as Mrs. Loomis being that character. And that's how she looks unhinged. She looks like she's the bitch. She looks like she's the person out to get the story because really she is. She's trying to get. She's trying to basically create a movie, ultimately, her and Mickey. While Mickey's trying to create the movie, uh, she's just kind of going with it. She's able to find a psycho to kind of help her work her plans. But that being said, I can't see her being like maybe the house mother, as you suggested, because I think she's too unhinged to be able to handle that, you know? Yeah, well, I, I get that. Like, she wouldn't be able and it would have been hard to describe how she would have been able to be in the background uh, and with the way that she is and not have like give like red flags to everybody around her. Exactly. Whereas if she's the newscaster that are, you know, like are so called and then she can just come in there and nobody questions it because they're all swimming in like piranhas anyway. Yeah. So. And that's my dumb explanation to explain it away, basically. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not, like I said, it's not bad. It's yeah. just, I, I wonder if there was another way because I just, I don't know it like it, it's introduced, but it really doesn't produce anything because like her, her motive doesn't roll back into it. I think my biggest problem, if they would have worked her motive into that, you know, the news thing, it would have probably worked. Yeah. But her ultimate motive is just to get revenge for her son. Yeah. And like, it, you know, like, and nothing about that news persona worked into that. It was just Mm-mm. like an extraneous thing just to be able to get like near the, the college or whatever, you yeah. know, like to be on, to be on the campus or whatever. Yeah. It was very generic, but I guess she, she could have been like a lunch lady at the, yeah. like, you know, and, and, and got the same kind of connection. And, and if they had just had her like in the background shots or something, and that would have worked just as oh, well yeah. that, that way or something. You know? Yeah. That would have worked. Uh, or they had the cafeteria scene. What if she'd been like somebody that was like having to clean up after, you know, like all the stupid, you know, dancing yeah. and stuff, you know, or so, just something like that. Or like I said, work it into her, her like motive. Cause her motive doesn't just, it doesn't, it's like the Chekhov's gun thing. It's like, it's, you know, it just doesn't naturally flow from what they introduced her as the character. But yeah. anyways, speaking of college real quick, I want to point out this college cafeteria that looked like a high school cafeteria. Yes. Um, yes. That wasn't a thing when I was in college or community college or regular. Uh, there was a cafeteria, uh, a cafeteria when yeah. I went, that whenever I went to UK that looked like that. It, but granted, it was like the rundown cafeteria of like before that because they were constantly remodeling all of them. There was another one that they had built like while I was going uh, and it, it was like an adjunct to a library and that thing was immaculate, you know, okay. but that's whenever the the money started rolling in and all that. Yeah. But, like the, but like the old school cafeteria that like it, it, it actually looked worse than my high school cafeteria. Yeah, you know? I was like, Okay, I was like, well, first off, I was like, they didn't have tables like that where you sat on the benches. Like, my cafeterias at the colleges I attended had just, like, I, they looked like, like, 
mall restaurants, basically, where you had the areas you can go buy your food. And then when you sat down, there was like either booths or round tables or small tables or bar stools with, you know, a little mini bar to sit at, you know. So it didn't look anything like that. And I know it's a difference between California and where you're at, you know, quite potentially. But I was like, this is, is this a thing? Yeah, I, I don't see that being a thing in California, like you said. It was a, it it would have been. It looked more like a a thing, you know, that we might have had around here or something at okay. the time. That makes sense. I don't know. Um, let's see. We've already discussed visual story. The acting, acting's fine. Um, I don't. There's really nobody that stood out as being like terrible in the movie, to my knowledge. Uh, there's a few times where. Uh, Jerry O'Connell like comes off as a little flat, but I mean like, you know, but there's other times where he's got genuine concern on his face. And so he kind of brings the yeah. character back. So that, that, that's fine. And I don't know if they did the flat stuff to kind of make it because they, they sell Derek as the, and, and I always forget if it's been a long time since I've watched the movie, I always forget that he's not one of the killers because of that, you know, whole scene right before he shot, you know, where he's trying to convince Sid that he's not one of them. Yeah. I think that maybe his flat acting might've been a way for them to kind of try to sell the red herring aspect to his character a little bit. So that might not have been intentionally bad acting. It might've been part of the, you know, meta plot or something. Yeah. I mean, the main characters, the acting wasn't any less than what it was from the first film, which is good. They were consistent. Um, I will say there were actors in this film that fell flat in my opinion and maybe not as necessary. Uh, for instance, Cece Cooper, Sarah Michelle Geller's character. Um, yeah, it was dull. And I was like, this is not Mich- Sarah Michelle Geller Cause she's a pretty decent actress. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're going back to, I mean, cruel intentions. I mean, yeah. she's acting her ass off in that movie, but it's funny you say that because, uh, she was a total bitch to work with according to Wes Craven. Wow. Uh, so maybe that, you know, Maybe that was her being, you know, a little bit petty yeah. and her not bringing her A game because she just didn't, didn't wasn't jiving with the whole thing. Yeah. Um, Lori Metcalf, she wasn't selling her role to me. She, yeah, she's, she's too TV. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, she's still Jackie from Roseanne. Yeah. Like, I don't, there's no difference in, in that character from, yeah. from her previous role. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is okay. I thought he's, he was okay. Yeah. He he goes on. He's a lot better actor now. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like you know, but he was okay in this one. He wasn't um, terrible. I, I I was buying what he was selling. Yeah. Um. Trying to think of anybody else in the movie. The the friend really didn't stand out one way or the other. Yeah. Like her best friend that ends up getting killed in that stupid scene where she goes back to the car. Like her friend was just kind of there. Like you know, she didn't stand out like Rose McGowan by like at. In, no way shape or form so yeah i liked her too back in the day i thought she was a pretty i liked her in some of the stuff that i'd seen her with she's just pretty so there's that um i'm trying to think rebecca gayhart and portia de rossi they were the basically the um the bitch uh, the bitches yeah they were part of the sorority and the sorority was so irrelevant in this film and if anything it was just like a I, I was just like, I don't need you here. Bye. You know, we we didn't need them for anything. The sorority and the whole plot of that was as, rel- uh, as irrelevant as the uh, plot with the cop and Cocaine Bear having the dog. That's, that's oh, how yeah, irrelevant it exactly. was. Oh, yeah, exactly. Didn't factor in, didn't need it. 
Um, uh, if they did a second pass through on the script, they could have probably cut that out and oh, worked yeah. in some other stuff, and it would have been fine. They could have saved some of their budget by not paying those actresses to be useless. The only thing that set up was them having the party where, you know, like uh, while Cece was being attacked, uh, they was having that party. And then like Derek gets attacked later on at the party after it empties out. And then like where he just barely gets slashed by Ghostface instead of getting full on stabbed, that that adds to the red herring. But they could have done that at any other point in the yes. movie. And they could have done that with any. It could have been that with the there was the, was more relevant than sorority was the. um. Oh, God, what's the guy version of sororities? The fraternity. The fraternity. They were more relevant because they had to get him. He gave his letters to his girlfriend, so they had to attack him. There was no reason for the sorority to be involved. That's true. Yeah, it it didn't factor in. It was just like a little added side plot that came in there. Uh, let's see, music, uh, this was very of its time. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. this, uh, this soundtrack more so than the original soundtrack. Because, Definitely. I mean, Red Right Hand feels, you know, like kind of classic confetti time frame. Mm-hmm. This was like, you know, I mean, I feel like Creed was in this. <laughs> like, I mean, it, it was that type of, you know, music or whatever. It was definitely that time period. Um, this was the movie that I did hear a, um... And, and not, I wouldn't say orchestrated, but basically a composed piece. And it was when um, Sydney was talking to her boyfriend at the college and the music didn't fit. Um, it was very, I don't know, um, happy romantic. And it wasn't, it was, a, it was a, it was a scene of basically of her not trusting him, but him asking her if he trusts her or if she trusts him. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this music does not fit. And that rarely happens to me, to where I notice the music. Because yeah. the music, you're right, it fit this film, except for this particular scene. I can't, like I said, not 100% dialed down on the scene. But, yeah. Oh, my God, they had Tonic. Tonic was fucking, they had Tonic in this in the soundtrack, which was very of that time. Which song by Tonic? It's called Eyes of Sand. Okay, I, I would have thought it was like uh, uh, If You Could Only See or one of oh, those. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, didn't they sing that song too, Love Is Always Better When You're Gone? Yeah, you yeah. You wanted more. Uh, she yeah. Said by Collective Soul, which is one of the ones you want to use. Yeah, that one. Uh, th- that one's one that, I mean, I, I like the band anyways, but that, that I feel like that, that ending for that movie, it, you know, we talked about the prison thing and like, you know, the, you know, like you're just feeling like, you know, like, fingers crawling down your spine or whatever, like yeah. whenever certain music hits. Oh yeah. The shit that the shit that she goes through between the first and the second movies and the, the words in that song. Yeah. And the way that that song is sung, it just fits because it's like somebody who's been through, uh, like it's a song about this woman who's like, feels like, you know, life is just run her down. She doesn't believe in love anymore. And it's like, it fits like yeah. it just fits that character like it's perfect you know here's one that doesn't fit the film but it definitely fits the time because i haven't heard this name in forever and you may have never heard this singer's name or rapper is a song called scream by silk the shocker and master p now master p no. everyone's heard of him but silk the shocker it's been a minute no, I uh, definitely outside my wheelhouse like, i don't <laughs> know any of that stuff yeah um okay um Everclear, they had a song called The Swing. Everclear, definitely of that time. Mm-hmm. Foo Fighters with a song called Dear Lover. 
Dave Matthew Dave Matthews Band with Help Myself. Sugar Ray with Rivers. This is all on the, the official soundtrack. Um, D'Angelo, which was an R&B singer back in that day. She's always in my hair. I'm not familiar with that one. Else. They had Cottonmouth Kings, too. Yeah, that that definitely fits for the time oh, yeah. period. That doesn't surprise me. 100%. So I'm like, I'm surprised I didn't look at the soundtrack for the first one. But the first one, I don't know that they knew it was going to be as big as it was going to be. Yeah, I don't. Uh, this one, they had such a huge success with the first one that I think bands were just, you know, like or labels were like throwing like records at them. It's like, please put this in this next movie, please, you know. Yeah, the only thing I see in the first album, the only singer I see that was re- relevant at all that time that I remember, I should say, is Moby. <laughs> which which Moby song is for it? a scream one? It's called uh, First Cool Hive." Never hmm. heard of it. Not that I'm familiar with anyway, so. No, i never heard of that one. Um, there is a song at the end of that first uh, Scream movie, though, that sounds, sad. it's such a 90s song or whatever. And I sent that to you or whatever in the in the Discord. But yeah. It, it's uh, We Are Children or whatever, and, like, it plays right as the end credits are going over, and it's like it, it couldn't be more 90s if it tried. Oh, my that God. Song, so. Yeah. Uh, are we ready for trivia? I'm ready. One scene in Kevin Williamson's screenplay was described simply as uh, Wes Craven will make it scary. Okay. He just rewrote it, and he's like, Wes will make this scary. I'm just going to move on. Okay. Uh, at around one minute, Paulette Patterson, who plays the usher, who hands masks to Maureen uh, and uh, Phil. With the noise, uh, one, with the squeak, with the with the weird baggy noise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, she won that role in a contest sponsored by MTV. Holy shit. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, we've already said this. Robert Rodriguez directed the stab scenes. Love it. Uh, uh, the cast was not informed of the identity of the killer until the last day of principal photography. Also, the cast did not receive the last 10 pages of the shooting script until it was time to film the scenes. Uh, and f- furthermore, the last 10 pages of the shooting script were printed on gray paper in order to deter illicit du- duplication. Nice. All cast members were required to sign confidentiality clauses as parts of their respective contracts that precluded them from discussing the outcome of the movie and the killer's identity. Um, it's, it's a good thing that Tom Holland was a young yeah. man and couldn't have acted in this movie because <laughs> he would have revealed everything. Uh, he would have. And not only that, but like, did the killers not even know who they were? No, they nobody knew Holy who the killers shit. were until oh, the dude. last. I would have been <laughs> stoked to find out that I was a killer. I'm sure that Timothy Oliphant was like jumping for joy when he found out he was one of the killers. Yeah, the and not only that, but like, um, it gives them a realism when they're playing their non-killer characters. Yeah, because the entire movie, that's one thing that I'll say in Timothy Oliphant's acting is that you never get the sense from Mickey that he's anything but Derek's best friend. Yeah. Like, you know. And not only, oh, uh, my God, it, the whole thing is just weird. Like, I, 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 I can't wrap my tiny girl brain around this. That, like, they had no idea. 
The only person who might have been like, I don't know how she wouldn't have thought about it, been Laurie Metcalf. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, with her character, like if she didn't like, I mean, otherwise she would just been like, you know, the only way they could have went with it is kind of like steered in the sense that they thought that, or maybe this time Gail was actually was trying to like drum up her own like next book or sales or something like that. Yeah, and then like Laurie was the one that would become famous, revealing that Gail was a kid. That's the only way that that could have been spin to let Laurie, you know, like you know not think that she was the killer hold on i want to read something about this here the cast okay last 10 pages printed on gray paper i mean that makes sense they were quite okay i understand the signing the confidential clause uh holy crap you're in this movie and you're like there's a possibility i could fucking be the killer yeah that's it's pretty cool I yeah mean, it's pretty cool that they kept it that way um, oh, oh, um, now I know what I wanted to say. It makes sense in this particular movie. You know how I was mad how Dean Winchester didn't actually play the killer in the last, in My Bloody Valentine? Because I was like, well, he could have. He had the look. He had the height. He had the yes. body frame. And he had the mannerisms. He could have easily been the character. Yeah. It 100% makes sense why they have a separate killer in this film or person playing the killer so that it's never really given away who is going to be the killer. That's true. It could that that really yeah. That way they can't even attempt to say okay, it's going to be, you know, uh, Timothy Oliphant because like you know it's it's another person entirely. So it could be a sub in for any of them. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, actors who auditioned for the role of or part of Derek were asked to perform the scene in the cafeteria. Yeah. With uh, I think I love you acapella and the role of Derek went to Jerry O'Connell. I guess because okay. and I don't know why he didn't sing it the best. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Uh, uh, Kevin Williamson had the idea for a sequel while writing the script for Scream uh, 1996, discovering there was more to the story. The movie began principal photography just six months after the release of the first Scream. And it was released less than a year after its predecessor. There was a quick turnaround on this one. Oh, my God. They must have been working nonstop. So I'll give them this. Considering it is the best sequel... And considering the quick turnaround for what they was able to accomplish in the short amount of time they did, it's it's an exceptionally good movie. I mean, yeah. it, it has warts, but I mean, those warts could have been fixed if they'd had a shorter, I mean, a longer turnaround than yeah. what they did. No, they were pumping it out. Uh, there's a scene earlier on in the movie when Sydney confronts Randy as they're walking to class about the killings on campus and insists it's another killing spree all over again. And at that point, random Randy inexplicably switches to an English accent for the rest of the scene. In a recent podcast, Jamie Kennedy burst into laughter when he watched the scene, admitted he had no idea why Randy was suddenly switched accent. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and that makes so much sense to me. Cause I'm like, I don't think he was directed to do that. And I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, I feel like he was, just being kind of an asshole i feel like it's natural because like i don't know if it's i mean maybe you you don't have a situation like this but where i work at like we'll randomly just like you know burst in the accents like you uh, know for stupid reasons and like it just it feels natural that randy would do that like okay. he just he would you that know? makes sense because i'm gonna annoy the fuck out of you right now because i'm not gonna do the accent but uh i imitate courtney kardashian at work all the time with her dull <laughs> and flat voice and make fun of my coworkers with it and they fucking die over it <laughs> and i do it every day it just pop out a random where somebody will do something stupid and i'll just call them out on it 
I'll give you an example, and I and it's funny that you sent this to me. That that one that was recently, it's been made into like a video on TikTok, Instagram, and all that of the one guy being interviewed or whatever, because uh, it, it's been on Nerdrotic, Nate. That and I love it. It's like, hold up, wait a minute. Yeah, something ain't right. You know, like I I, I broke into that the other day at work because oh I thought God. it was hilarious. You know. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I get it. Uh, Nev Campbell would shoot party of five on Mondays and Tuesdays during the day and spent Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on the movie, most of which were night shoots. And on Sunday, she would work all night until 6 a.m., go home for 15 minutes to shower, <laughs> off all the fake blood, and immediately go back and start filming for Party of Five. Fucking All without shit. sleeping. No, fuck that. No wonder she looked tormented. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to give her credit. I mean, she was busting ass for this stuff. I mean... Uh, at around 13 minutes, like in the first film, you can find a reference to Freddy Krueger, uh, played by Robert England in Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, iconic sweater in Haley's and Sydney's dorm room in the beginning of the film hanging on their closet door. Oh, my God. Uh, various titles were considered for the sequel at different points in the film's production, including Scream Again, Scream Louder, and Scream the Sequel. No, 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 and no. Yeah, Scream 2. It just it works. That's all you need. At around one hour and one minute, uh, Randy's reference to fake nude pictures of Gail Weathers on the internet was inspired by fake images of Courtney Cox that appeared on the world, on the on the web prior to production of the movie. So that was a meta comment on her real life. Uh, hold on, I'm I'm looking them up right now. I want to see how fake they look because I imagine they don't look. I imagine they don't look. They didn't have good uh, deep fakes back in the day. No. Uh, I mean, you could see the next seams all the time back on the ones they used to do. Yeah. They, apparently, these photos do not exist anymore because it did not. Uh, <laughs> Courtney Cox, maybe I should put nudes. <laughs> I'll go on to the next part. You keep looking. Uh, many of the actors and actresses involved in this production, including Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Jerry O'Connell, were starring in their own television series at the time, allowing the production limited availability to schedule their involvement. Gellar, in particular, was in between filming of Buffy and only recently finished work on uh, Kevin Williamson's other film, I Know What You Did Last Summer. But despite the de- the... The hectic scheduling, Geller admitted in an interview that she agreed to perform in the movie without having read a, read a script because of the success of the original screen. Oh, oh my God. Uh, I found uh, the Jerry, nudes. They're fucking terrible. Yeah, I figured they would be. Oh, my uh, God. It's hilarious. And, of course, Courtney Cox was in Friends. Uh, Jerry O'Connell had been around the time he was doing Sliders because that was late 90s when yeah. he was doing that show. And and then, of course, uh, Buffy. So there that was the other show, uh, Party of Five. It's just like uh, a whole CW reunion, I swear, every time. <laughs> Basically. Uh, originally scheduled to open alongside Tomorrow Never Dies and Titanic, both blockbusters shifted their dates so as to not to be pitted against Scream. Think what? about that for a moment. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. I know what you did last summer. Um, what else was there? It was Tomorrow Never Dies and Titanic. They were both afraid of the Scream movie interfering with their box office, so they moved their dates. Oh, my God. That's fucking... I mean, it makes so much sense, but, like, could you imagine having to be put up against Scream? 
it's just funny knowing that Titanic is like outside of, I mean, it got replaced by Avatar, but like it was the number one grossing yeah. movie of all history. And it, and they were initially afraid that Scream, that the Scream sequel would, and it might have, it might've actually knocked it down and it wouldn't have went on to be what it was if it hadn't been because both men and women went to watch this movie. So it wasn't like, I mean, you know, the, I think I feel like the guys for Titanic were dragged in. Either they were history buffs or their girlfriends dragged them to that. Whereas in this movie, it was both like wanting to watch a fun movie, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think. So in two weeks, Screams, roughly two weeks, Scream 6 is coming out. Um, could, like, could you imagine, like, Scream 6 and Cocaine Bear pitted against each other? I feel like that gives cocaine bear enough time to kind of do what it's going to do. Oh, yeah. So it's not too bad. It does. No, it um, does. But what if they had been released like near each other, oh, like within days? No, that would have, that would have really, I think that's the reason Universal jumped, uh, went ahead and released it when they did because they knew that, you know, Paramount was going to get all the money for Scream 6. I mean, that was going to be out at that time. Uh, I mean, I don't know that Scream 6 is going to have the draw necessarily that it originally had, but that. But when we get to it, that requel, Scream 5, did the numbers. Like, it did the same numbers almost that the original Scream did. Um, so Scream is a Paramount it, it, franchise, right? What's that? A Scream is a Paramount franchise? Yes. Uh, yeah. Is Paramount in cahoots with Universal? Uh, they work together on things. They, they don't like, they're not like Warner brothers. They don't like get pissy about their horror franchises and deliberately try to stage one off things like they did with it. Like yeah. have their own, like little it house that the installation, as they called it, that they randomly popped up in places. They, they do work with the, there is a poss very real possibility that scream six could be at HHN. Okay. The reason why I bring that up is because, uh, I want to say it was, no, it was the third film is that i i swear that's universal studios but i could be wrong yeah it, they they all have paramount like when you go to watch them like you know on the disc or whatever yeah it like brings up you know paramount's like you know logo and all that so. yeah uh after filming jada pinkett smith sent director wes craven a set of steak knives for christmas who sent her uh jada pinkett sent uh wes craven oh. a set of steak knives oh my for christmas. god that's actually pretty funny i wonder what how good they were like, I wonder if he looked at them and like, this is fucking shit. I wonder if it was the Gensu knives. Remember when they was a big thing <gasps> back in the day? Those, oh, yeah. Those were fucking legit. <laughs> uh it earned one third of its total gross of 1.13 uh, million in its opening weekend. Fucking one third shit. of that yeah. in the first weekend. Fucking shit. Uh, David Warner, who played Gus, the theater director, was personally chosen by Wes Craven for a cameo because Craven had been impressed with Warner's acting ever since he saw him in The Omen. Oh, yeah. And Warner had also auditioned for the role of Freddy Krueger back in the original Nightmare on Elm Street before, um, you know, Robert England got it. Wow. Uh, I think that would have been interesting to have David Warner as Freddy Krueger because he played a menacing person yes. very well back back when he tried. I, so. I can 100% see it. Uh, both this and the original Scream were among the highest grossing films of 1997, which is funny. I yeah. mean, saying that they were both in the same <laughs> year because even though that Scream was released at late in 96, most of its money was made in 97. 97, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, co-producer Julie Plek revealed on Twitter that the original song that played over the last few minutes of the film was supposed to be Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. 
However, because the song sampled certain arrangements by, uh, from a song by the Rolling Stones, it was too expensive for the movie's budget, and the producers then decided to use She Said by Collective Soul, asking them to add a cello element to evoke the same emotion that Bittersweet Symphony had. Two things about this. A, that makes that, that song so much better having the cello in it, and two, or it would be, is that it's funny because Bittersweet Symphony is the song that plays at the end of Cruel Intentions. Yes, I was just going to say that. Which <laughs> film did it play? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, because that's whenever uh, he he's uh, like uh, uh, Ryan Felipe or whatever, I, th- I believe, is in that. And he walks out and then the car hits him or, or you know yeah. or whatever. And then like you get the reaction from Sarah Michelle Gellar and it's playing Bittersweet Symphony at the end of it, which is – that's another that's another like frisian moment like i love that that's a perfect song for that moment in that film so yeah. uh officer andrews philip pavel and officer richards christopher doyle's names are references to brian andrews and kyle richards from halloween oh my god uh sarah michelle geller and jerry o'connell began dating on the set of this film so there you Ooh. go i told you jerry o'connell was back you know he was getting with all the ladies you know once he uh, grew up and you know got thin so he there was you a go whore. <laughs> even more so in tomcats have you ever seen that movie what what movie it's called tomcats it was like a very bad like you know knock on type movie for american pie like there was a series of movies that were like raunchy teen comedies and tomcats came out after that jerry o'connell was in it i did not and he, plays, yeah. he basically he plays a male whore in the movie and oh. the one scene that's that he that's that's hilarious and it's funny because it fits into this film is that he starts dating this redheaded librarian and he tells the guys that he wants to date because he said the he said that those quiet girls are always the freaks. Well, he finds out. He fucks around. and He finds out because she takes him home and she uh, attaches him to like this bed, and then like he thinks he's going to get some light, you know, BDSM. He gets full on BDSM oh, because shit. she's like comes back in. She's dressed head to toe in full dominatrix gear. Uh, the bed, like you know, like at a push of a button, changes to where it's like, it's like a it's like a you know on the wall, like yeah. it moves. And then her grandma, which is so nasty, oh, walks God. in in a dominatrix gear too, and says that she's going to join in the fun. <gasps> and then he's like screaming. And <sighs> it's funny because the the way that he's tied up is exactly the way that he's tied up in this movie. Oh my God! <laughs> which I mean, we, uh, they read books, guys. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, it's just, but it's funny you said he was a whore because in that movie he's he's a male whore mm-hmm. it's that, and he gets his comeuppance and the fact that he meets a real freak and he's not ready for it. Um, Joshua Jackson and Re- Rebecca Gayhart would only a year later co- collaborate in another teen slasher, Urban Legend, Ooh. which we will be covering at some point, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, highly influenced by the success of the Scream films, and uh, even faced accusations of being ripoffs of this movie, which not. Un, you know, not unfair to say the ripoffs. Uh, so get this: Toby Maguire was offered the role of Mickey. Mm, God, that's so. It would be so unexpected. Uh, it would. It would. But I, I, I could see it. I think Toby Maguire has the acting chops. He does have the acting chops. I don't know how I feel about that because he wouldn't have played. He wouldn't have played the, you know, good-looking, you know, jokey best friend. He would have played. I feel like he would have taken a more serious, you know, maybe um, turn with Mickey. You know, yeah. I think that uh, what's his name though, the actor that did play Mickey, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, Timothy, I, yeah. He has a crazy look to him, almost like a Jack Nicholson. Crazy oh, look. Have you ever saw that movie? It, it, another 
uh, you know, teen sex comedy or whatever that came out later. Uh, the Girl Next Door. Did you ever see that one? I think so, yeah. I think as uh, Eliza Cuthbert, I believe, yes. is the actress that was in that one. And Timothy Oliphant goes from charming, like, you know, just regular guy to, like, friggin' like, you know, nasty psychopath in that movie, like, in the just the snap of a finger. Like, wow. He, it is perfect in that movie, like, how, like, he, I mean, because it turns out he's, like, this scummy porn producer that, <laughs> like, is, like, uh, trying to hunt her down and, like, you know, force her back into the movies or whatever. Uh, to get his money out of her and like I mean he he goes from just and like because the I think the transition in the movie happens because he's palling around with like the the guy who's you know attracted to Liza you know like he's got that you know boyhood crush or whatever on her and like they're palling around in that movie and then like the and you know and he and they're sitting there laughing and Timothy Alphonse laughing with him and all of a sudden Timothy Alphonse just takes and punches him right in the face breaks his nose blood everywhere and then has like the, his face immediately changes he stops what he's doing he's like he's like he's like you're giving me that fucking you know like you know you know just like you know tell her tell me where she's at and all this stuff and it's like instant like i mean he he really does have what you said like that sinister side to yeah it. so i don't know i don't know between the two of them between him and toby who would have been better for that i mean if, if when it came down to it I, I feel like he did the role well enough that it doesn't really matter but uh, Wes Craven deliberately sent the MPAA a more violent version of the film for the mm -hmm. approval, expecting them to insist on trimming the scenes and toning down the gore, meaning he would be able to make minor tweaks to get the movie through. But to his surprise, they passed it with an R rating. Wow. That's <laughs> a gave horror comedy. Violent, he gave them the more violent version, and they were like, all right. <laughs> oh, my God. A long-running and unconfirmed rumor was that Wes Craven and Sarah Michelle Gellar did not uh, get along during the filming, with Gellar displaying diva-like behavior and such. The character of Sarah Darling in Scream 3, played by Jenny McCarthy, is a poss is possibly an unflattering parody of Gellar. Wow. So, uh, Melissa Joan Hart, again, uh, Candace Cameron nope. uh, Burr, and Ellen Pompeo were all considered for the role of CeCe Cooper before Sarah Michelle Gellar was cast. Uh, definitely not Melissa Joan Hart. Yeah. Uh, Candace Cameron. Really? Like she's always been like too sweet to really fit a character like that. I just don't see it. I, I don't know. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, who had already turned down the role of Sydney and scream was once again, considered for the role of CC. <laughs> I could see Reese, Reese Witherspoon. As Reese might've worked in that role. Yeah. Because she's supposed to be sweet enough that she's the designated driver in case anything happens to the girls, but also spicy enough that, you know, she can fucking throw out a, a few curse words, you know? Yeah. Right. Especially kind of give the ghost faces due right before she's thrown from the balcony. That, that yeah. would have fit her at the time, especially too. Uh, Louis Arquette, who plays Chief Hartley, was the real-life father of David Arquette and father-in-law of Courtney Cox. Mm -hmm. uh, Courtney Cox was married to David Arquette uh, from 99 to 2013, and Louis Arquette died in 2001. Aww. So at least, you know, David got to work with his dad on the set, you know, for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Oliphant and Rebecca Gayhart would end up re reuniting in Quentin Tarantino film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It also starred a future cast member of the Scream franchise, uh, Mikey Madison, who would uh, appear as uh, uh, or, uh, Madison in Scream uh, 2022. 
uh, Sarah Michelle Geller and Joshua Jackson would later star in Cruel Intentions, mm-hmm. you know, as Catherine uh, Mertuel and uh, Blaine Tuttle. However, they both share no scenes. Jerry O'Connell's Derek Feldman's uh, brother Charlie also appears in Cruel Intentions. So Jerry O'Connell's brother was in that movie. It's like just the small world amongst all these movies. Like once they get like on that that group, like they continuously get cast in movies. I feel like. Uh, cameos in this movie to wrap it up. Uh, Matthew Lillard at around 35 minutes uh, is in the background at a frat party. Um, he's actually in the movie. Wow. Like, physically at a frat party at the frat party. Uh, Selma, Selma Blair, who was in, you know, uh, who co-starred in Coral Intentions uh, is the girl to whom CC is talking on the phone, oh, which shit. is hilarious. And then Kevin Williamson at around 13 minutes is Cotton's uh, interviewer on the television. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Death Hall Awards. Uh, Sydney, not much to, I mean, same. I mean, really good. I don't know what else to say about her in this. I mean, she fits. The, it's just that stupid moment that we'll get to in a minute. That's the only thing that yeah. I feel is a problem. I don't think she's learned enough yet. She's still pretty fucking naive. If not, almost took a step back a little bit. Just a little, but yeah. to be fair, actually, for my dumb explanation to explain it away, she thought the killers were dead. So, yeah, that, that's true. There was a somewhat uh, of a comfort in that, so I get it. Uh, Mickey and Nancy. Uh, Mickey's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't buy. I'm like you. I don't think Nancy's good. Yeah, I'm not buying what she's selling. Uh, best kill to me, it's Officer Richards. The pipe through the head. It's just different. That's you undisputed. Know. Um. Best scream is oh, Cece as yes. she's being thrown off the roof. Ugh, that was a plop of a landing, too. <laughs> uh, best killer motive. Mickey is just wanting to become famous, uh, yeah. have a famous trial, and he's always had psychopathic tendencies, which is interesting. Uh, Nancy is just playing out revenge. It's the most boring one yeah. of the whole entire movies. <laughs> uh, how Annoying is Doom Prophet? Uh it's it's either Sydney or Dewey in this movie that's Doom Prophet. I don't know which of the two is more of the Doom Prophet in the movie. Um, neither one of them is annoying, but yeah. like that. But they're not. I mean, I don't know. I guess they're just there. Like they they, they don't. Yeah, they definitely know something's on the water for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, best side character again, Randy. Yeah. He, it it sucks that we lose him in this movie. It really does. Yeah. Uh, and dumbest moment in the entire fucking series <laughs> is her going back to investigate Ghostface in the car because there is no reason why she, her friend even tells her that's dumb. Let's go. Like, they made it like, no, out. They had back. to climb over him to get out of this car that they were <laughs> locked in, and still she manages to. It was. It's her fault that her friend died. Yeah, hundred percent. There's there's no reason. I mean, she got her friend killed, and I and that's that's one reason why at the end of the movie, I feel like that she said song actually fits well is because of the fact that like I mean, if she didn't have trauma before, she has to have it after being the cause for her friend dying in this one. Like I mean, because it was her mistake that got uh, uh, Hallie killed. Yeah. Um. Anything else to say about before we just go to the next movie and wrap this first trilogy up? No, let's 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 move it along. All righty, all right. The trilogy concludes, quote unquote. Uh, <laughs> Scream three and two thousand. They actually took some time between these movies, which is ridiculous because, as we'll get into it, this is the least scream of all the screams that have ever screamed. Um, 
tagline, the final scream is going to be the loudest. Um, was it? It wasn't the final. It wasn't the loudest. Yeah. Wes Craven again, Kevin Williamson, characters in this movie because Aaron Kruger, which is funny because of the last name, yeah. is, did the screenplay. Aaron Kruger's the motherfucker that ruined this movie. Uh, if they would have stayed with Kevin Williamson, he would have turned out a better movie. I'm almost positive of it, but they yeah. didn't. But Kevin Williamson was too busy, if I remember right, still working on um, Dawson's Creek, and they 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 said we we can't wait on you any longer. So they went ahead and got Aaron Kruger to do the the movie, and he's the reason why it's so slap shod together. You know. Oh, Kevin, how did that work uh, out for you? No, I was kidding. <laughs> Probably pretty good, actually. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, he came back for the fourth one, and it's a dramatic improvement, so that should tell you something. Uh, Marco Beltrami, again, for the music, uh, had a budget of $40 million, so it's the highest of Ooh. these first three. Uh, not shown in the movie, yeah. sadly. Um, and then the box office, $161.8 million. Yeah, but they're crying all the way to the bank still. That's still a pretty decent turnaround. Uh, the, yeah, but the reason this one is people automatically. they they The yeah. first two were good enough. They were like, sure, I'm in for a third. Yeah, why um, the fuck not? Yeah. Principal players, Nev Campbell again, Sidney Prescott, final girl. Jeff Brockton plays Ghostface in this one, uh, and alone Ghostface. Oh, face. yeah. We'll get, into the, we'll get into the controversy on that one because it's impossible, but in the movie, it is he is the lone slasher. Um, uh, he went on to do uh, 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 stunt work on Stranger Things and Interview with a Vampire TV series that just came out. Nice. Uh, so so he's still working. Uh, Scott Foley plays Roman Bridger, Sydney's half-brother, the director of Stab 3, and the worst ghost face in the entire series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was from Dawson's Creek. Hilarious. Um, there's those ties. True Blood and Grey's Anatomy. And Grey's Anatomy comes was come up quite a bit because most of the actors and actresses that, that are in this show or these movies from here on out were in Grey's Anatomy at some point. Oh, and wow. That was, the, that was the adult version of Dawson's Creek <laughs> in more ways than one. Um, David Arquette's back playing Dewey Riley. This time he's a bodyguard and a Hollywood consultant. Ooh. Um, uh, Courtney Cox comes back as Gail Weathers, uh, still cutthroat, uh, still famous. Uh, Jamie Kennedy comes back for a cameo. He's dead, but he's not forgotten. Aww. Uh, Patrick Dempsey, speaking of, uh, yeah, Grey's, Grey's Anatomy, Anatomy, uh, uh, plays Frank Kincaid, the police detective and Sydney's love interest and eventual husband. Wait, in the series. What? I didn't. Yeah. What? It's, it's revealed in part five that she's still married to him. Oh my God. Yep. Um, Kelly Rutherford, uh, plays Cotton's girlfriend, Christine Hamilton. That was a good scene. Uh, yep. Uh, Leif Schreiber comes back and plays, uh, Cotton Weary one last time as a talk show host. Jenny McCarthy Wahlberg plays Sarah Darling, the Sarah Michelle Geller stand-in, as we previously <laughs> mentioned. Um, and then Par Patrick Warburton plays, uh, Stephen Stone, uh, Jennifer's bodyguard, and Jennifer Jolie's bodyguard, and uh, he's obviously known as Brock, the voice of Brock Sampson, played the live-action Tick, and he was Kronk in the uh, Emperor's New Groove. Oh, shit. He's got that deep voice that yeah. gives him a lot of voice acting roles. Uh, Matt Keesler plays Tom Prince, the, the Dewey Doofus stand-in. Uh, Emily Mortimer uh, plays Angelina Tyler, Sydney stand-in, and Red Herring. Uh, we'll get to that one because she should have been the other ghost face. 
Uh, Dion Richmond plays Tyson Fox, the stand-in for Randy. Parker Posey plays Jennifer Jolie, stands in for Gail. Uh, she was uh, also in Blade Trinity. Uh, she kind of played like a bitchy, almost dominatrix vampire that was uh, that uh, to uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds in that movie, playing Hannibal King. Uh, Lance Henriksen, a uh, great horror actor, plays John Milton, the studio exec, uh, the Harvey Weinstein stand-in. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> in, in all the bad ways. Yes. I mean, they even mentioned what he did to Maureen Prescott. Oh yes. Uh, uh, one of my favorite movies, Pumpkinhead, uh, Aliens, Near Dark, The Quick and the Dead, Millennium. Uh, he's been in such good genre movies. You can't. Lance Henriksen's just classic. And then rounding it out, we got Carrie Fisher, uh, Bianca Burnett, but she is not that chick from Star Wars. She lets you know. No, that that's quick in the so. Movie. I know. I love that. Uh, synopsis. Cotton Weary and his girlfriend are murdered prior to his upcoming cameo in the third Stab movie. This places everyone on set on high alert and prompts Gail Weathers to look into another copycat killer. Meanwhile, Detective Kincaid is searching for Sidney Prescott because a picture of her mother was found at the Weary crime scene. One by one, the cast of Stab 3 is picked off according to the order in which they die in the script. The snotty starlets will get stabbed. Dumb actors get blown the fuck <laughs> up. And Gail has to deal with the worst horror imaginable, another version of herself. <laughs> <laughs> the best scream is always the last one. Just hope the last one isn't your own. Cheesy. Yeah, that's one of their taglines. Yep. Uh, body count, 10. Uh, so down from the last movie. Yeah. Uh, Christine Hamilton, stabbed in the back by Roman Bridger. Cotton Weary, stabbed in the head by Roman Bridger. This is the this ghost face has the most kills of any single ghost face, just yeah. so you know, because he's the uh, the single ghost face, quote unquote. Um, Sarah Darling, thrown through glass and stabbed in the back by Roman. It was very Jason Voorheesy. Yes, uh, Stephen Stone is stabbed in the back, beat with a frying pan. Mm -hmm. Tom Prince is blown the fuck up, which is the best kill in mm -hmm. probably any of the movies. Yes, very cinematic. Uh, Angelina Tyler is stabbed in the chest. Uh, just standard fare. Tyson Fox is stabbed, neck broken, and then thrown off two stories. Jennifer Jolie is stabbed in the stomach. John Milton has, has his throat slit. And then Roman Bridger himself is stabbed a few times and then shot in the head by Dewey Riley. Quotes, Randy. Well, if you're watching this tape, it means as I feared, I did not survive these killings here at Windsor College. And that giving up my virginity to Karen Kolchek at the video store was probably not a good idea. Uh, Gail Weathers, hey, are you Bianca Burnett? No, Jennifer Jolie, but you look just, and then Bianca Burnett, like her, I've been hearing it all my life. And then Jennifer Jolie, it's uncanny. And then Bur uh, Bianca Burnett, uh, sourly, I was up for Princess Leia. I was this close. So who gets it? The one who sleeps with George Lucas. That's fucking hilarious, which is actually pretty terrible because technically Carrie Fisher was, she was a teenager, I think. Yeah, she was really young in yeah. the first movie. So that, I mean, I love that she was able to go with that. I don't know that that would sit well with today's times. No, I'm, it's untellable stuff. They're, they're trying to cancel Tropic Thunder again. Have you heard that, like, oh, in the news? fuck off. It's like South Park. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. That fucking uh, Tropic Thunder is a fucking film darling, and you will not touch it. Well, the good thing is is that uh, instead of bowing down like most of them do, um, 
Ben Stillers actually came out and said he's not apologizing. He said he apologized back in the day. He said he's never apologizing again for it, especially now with the, the accusations because because uh, they're not even mad at Robert Downey Jr. for the blackface. No. They're, they're mad. Or they are, but that's not the main. They're trying. They're going after Stiller for playing Simple Jack. You know. Oh my because god. Of him making fun of handicapped people. Oh, and, shut uh, the fuck up. And, and he's he's got a right point. He said, "I'm not making fun of handicapped people. I'm making fun if you watch the movie of the actors who uh, who are too dumb not to you know in their portrayal of handicapped people." And he said, "So he said, I'm proud of the movie." And he said, "You can fuck off." It's basically yeah. what it amounts to. Which is, I mean, which is funny because it's like they couldn't find one thing. They couldn't get by <laughs> with the blackface, so then they had to go after something else. Like next, it's going to be misogyny, you know. Uh, yeah, the the some of the stuff that uh, um, Tom Cruise says is less Grossman is too misogynistic, or, uh, ra- or you know somehow it's a uh, co-opting. You know, uh, you know the fact that he's got like you know he's into rap and stuff is co-opting culture or whatever oh, yeah. they say. The black people fucking love those characters in that film. I have not heard one black person that's like I'm offended. <laughs> You know, well, and they and they even have it in the movie. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like you know when Robert Downey Jr. looks at. I love that line. I know it's a tangent, but I could go on forever about try. We we should probably have an ep- uh, some show just about Tropic Thunder because I love yeah. that movie so fucking much. But even though it, it's got horror elements, because the, there is some good gore in the movie, mm-hmm. but like where he looks and he looks at Ben Stiller and he's like, what do you mean you people? Yeah. And then, and then uh, Al Pacino behind him is like, what do you mean you people? Yeah. <laughs> I love that line because he, he's, it's directly calling it out. Yeah. Know? Uh, Anyways, getting back to this one, I can't. I have to round it out because they're in this movie. Yes. It's unofficially an Universe movie. Jay, holy shit, Silent Bob, it's that TV news chick, Connie fucking Chung. Yes. Hey, Connie, how's Maury? And then Gail gives him the finger, and he's like, Jay, uh, and then Jay's like, dude, I think she likes me. Did you see how she was looking at me? <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Uh, it's, it, it's a good little cameo, but at the same time, it's, I don't know, it, it, to me, it represents everything bad about the movie because it's like so Hollywood yeah, and, and it, and it's supposed to be in a meta sense, but at the same time, there's a certain, there's a certain innocence in a way and a certain like, you know, uh, something different about the first movie, a different vibe that they never really got back. And this one like is the total opposite end of it. It's like, you know, if you made the most Hollywood version of scream, this is the movie that, that you yeah. would make, you know, um, getting into it, the visuals, they, the, the death scenes were, were decent. Oh, yeah. Um, the explosion, a uh, little bit of wonky CGI there, but it's not terrible. I, I didn't mean, catch it, so I mean, it, it's it's, it, it's just at the edges of the fire. Like, oh, I okay. mean, it's got a little bit of that pixelation bullshit that goes on with like some of that late nineties or okay. the early two thousand CGI. Um, Ghostface. I mean, everything's fine in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Something I thought was weird about this movie is that. Um, it's funny that in part two they comment on Gail smoking because I feel like every fucking you know person in this movie is shown smoking like at one point like especially when they're in uh you know Parker Posey's like you know uh, Jolie's Jennifer Jolie's house like she's chain smoking that guy oh yeah Tom Prince or whatever is 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 smoking like it and it's just it's weird it's like the only movie in the franchise that like is that way product placement you know? just like I was talking I, I didn't even bring it up for part two how Diet Pepsi specifically was pretty prominent in the second film. <laughs> Cigarettes was prominent in this. Uh, as the film franchise goes on, I'll tell you the next uh, company that is in there pretty well. Toyota. 
Oh, that's true. Toyota yeah, Camrys, Toyota Prius. Vehicles. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, holy crap, look at this. <laughs> yeah, R.J. Reynolds must have got their money's worth out of the wine stains on this oh, one you know, my for God. all the, the cigarettes in it. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, story-wise, it's got the worst story in all the series. Like that, the, they re- that retcon of having Rome, Roman go back. I mean, I don't mind the stuff with Maureen, even though it's 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 some fucked up retcon in its own sense. Yeah, having her be like this, you know, Hollywood uh, whore, want to be movie star mm-hmm. uh, that was, you know, basically had Weinstein. You know, yeah. which is ironic given who made this movie. But anyways. <laughs> Uh, but that whole thing with Roman going back and taking away, like, the, you know, Billy and Stu's, like, involvement a little bit from the original oh, kill of Maureen. trying to say that, that he orchestrated it. Yes, that, that I, I hate that. I fucking hate it because that the it, it ruins the original scream in a sense. If you if you if you care enough, which I don't, I just let this one go. But if you care enough about the series, this one technically ruins the first movie, which is it's shit, you know. And yeah, for, it, for doing that, I you know I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't see it completely as a retcon from my perspective. I was like, I heard out his story and I was like, okay, he kind of gave him the push. And like I said, in terms of Billy Loomis, I said he had some psycho tendencies already. And it's like these people obviously find each other. I could I could see that being, you know, another thing to kind of push over the edge any more than, than he already kind of was. Um, I think I hated the storyline worse in part two than I hated this one. I'm not saying this one is good. You know, I'm going to put that out there. I'm just saying I think it was better than the second one. Um, Here, I'll give you. I'll give you this. The plot holes with Nancy Loomis and her suddenly caring about her son are way worse. Yes. Than, than the Roman Bridger ones. I just it. I think that it takes something away from the the evilness of uh, yeah. both uh, of Stu and Billy by having somebody else prompt them to do the Maureen kill. Like it, there's something more vicious about the two of them doing it on their own versus. Yeah. You know, having well, I mean, it was a movie producer and they were all about those movies. Like I said, I I was able to accept it. Um, I could have done without it, meaning I do appreciate the first original story better, obviously. Um, and it's something that I kind of refuse to kind of get out of my mind anyway. So they they could have done whatever they wanted in this film. I was like, eh, you know, Billy, <laughs> Billy and Stu were still highly motivated by their own means, you know. Yeah, uh, they're. <sighs> I'll tell you what I think about this movie. The the one scene where Randy's sister comes in, gives him the tape, and then Randy pops up is yeah. the highlight of the movie for me. Like it, the movie improves a thousand percent when Randy's yeah. on screen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is true. Uh, like I said, he's still even after the third film, even after death, he is still serving his purpose in this film and makes himself still relevant, which I love. I, I- I love that on there where he's not, he not only answers doing. Oh yeah. I love that part of it. It's like, no, that's no. He's like, they're responding back and forth. But then the whole thing where he's fighting with his roommate, he's like five more fucking minutes. Like, geez, just, you know, like I love all that little like back and forth. Uh, Jamie Kennedy, just, he knocked it out of the park on that character. Like I I love that character so much. Um, I want to say, I don't like about this. Oh, go um, ahead. The story. I want to continue with the story real quick because one thing Noah had said is he's like, I'm not buying that this guy is this, this top movie producer or up and coming movie producer, if you will. And he's able to keep his sanity together as long as he does, you know, to be able to pull off all this stuff. But I'm like, he's a fucking movie producer. 
like sometimes they could be actors too. Uh, again, mm-hmm. not saying that this is the best storyline by any means. Um, what Noah's saying does make sense. Like he, you have to be. How do you? How do you not become unhinged? And just well, here's the thing, it? though. Here's the thing, though. How many stories have we heard about how weird fucking Hollywood is? That is I mean, fucking whether true. You, whether you want to believe the the conspiracy stuff, which goes way to the other side, or just the random stories that we hear about Hollywood, you can be eccentric, is what they'll label it. Yeah. I mean, I love- Roman Polanski, yeah. that guy was a fucking sicko. I mean, and like, you know, and then, or Harvey Weinstein himself. Like, I mean, they, it, shit gets by in Hollywood that sh- would not normally, so Roman could have been acting like a total psychopath and people like, yeah, he's a producer. That's what they do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't, that didn't bother me at all. Like, I mean, I never even considered that a possibility. Yeah, I hadn't either um, until Noah had said it. And I was like, well, maybe, but then I was like, I mean, you're right. It's it's fucking Hollywood, you know? I was just thinking that, you know, oh, well, he's probably just a good actor on top of he knows what good acting is, you know? Uh, what, yeah, I agree with you on that stuff. The one thing I don't like, another thing I don't like about this movie, they, they keep Sydney out of it for a lot of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, first of all. And then secondly, the scenes they do show with Sydney prior to this, none of that stuff with her mom being a ghost in her dreams that was or whatever weird. the fuck that was. Yeah. It, it, didn't, it did not gel with anything mm-hmm. else that goes on either before or after in the movies. No, um, I know they tried to bring some kind of relevance to the fact that Roman was trying to use uh, her mom's ghost, but it's like, how did how did he know that that would affect her as bad? He didn't know that she was at her house being haunted by her mom's spirit. And not only that, being evilly haunted by her mom's spirit. There was no good intentions with that. Usually when there's a spirit haunting in this particular case, it felt like it would have been more of a warning to her, you know? I, 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 yeah, it, it, it was like an evil haunting. They, they, the way they portrayed it, like she was almost, you know, like, I mean... It, she was almost being attacked at one point by her mom's ghost. And the other, and even if it was a dream, the thing that didn't sit with me, if you want to say it's trauma, there was a much better way they could have introduced like the trauma element and mm-hmm. played that up. And Uh-oh. her mom, and then maybe having her flash to seeing like, like uh, crime scenes of what happened to Maureen, you know, Maureen afterward. And then, you know, play it in that way. Like she's remembering her mom, like her mom's yeah. on her mind. He's remembering her that way and then work it in. They didn't have to go that ghost. That ghost angle is so, yeah. it's, it, it does not work. No ghost actually look like that either. <laughs> yeah, they would try to go the white woman uh, version well, of ghost that, with her. They, they made her go like a uh, like white woman, dark under eyes, dead. I don't know. Like if you're, if you're, wish there was nothing about Sydney's trauma or anything about her mom's history that would have made me think that that's how her mom would appear to her. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking right now. It's like if, if they were going to have her in the mood, like Sydney's memory of her mother would not be of that. Like she, she didn't delete her. She was not had, had no involvement in her mom's death whatsoever. Yeah. Like, so she had no guilt over that Mm-mm. or shouldn't have any guilt over it. Yeah. She know and, her mom had a sketchy past, but she had other shit going on in her life she had to worry about. And, and well, and her mom was her own person. Like she had, I mean, even it, I know people sometimes blame themselves, but like what as a child could you blame for your parents stepping out on your other parent? Yeah. If anything, she would be 
angry at her mom and it would be and the dream would have been reversed like she would have been like screaming at her or something and, and they, they played it the other way like yeah. her mom was attacking her because she didn't do her job as a daughter and it's like no well she even says in this film she she has a chit chat with her dad and she's like hey if mom hadn't have done all this you know we probably wouldn't be going through this yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it doesn't. It, I, Kruger, whenever he made this part up, didn't think the motivation of the character through at mm-hmm. all. Like, I mean, no, he also didn't did, think didn't of work. what type of character that Sydney was. He obviously didn't take her into consideration because she's way stronger of a character. Things can still haunt you no matter how strong you are. It's just not going to be in an aspect like that that's going to really shake her up like the way it did. She, like I said, she's got other shit going on. And then not only that, but then for Roman to be able to, like, reproduce the same exact thing almost to to terrify her, you know, when she's in the production set of what is Woodsboro or where she used to live, um, that that was a little a little off the path. It was a little on the nose too. I mean, it was like you know, uh, had we're gonna make you relieve your trauma exactly, you yeah. know, by putting you right back in the scene. That it's, is true. It's a, it, it's just one of those things. And then I didn't, I didn't like uh, the uh, love triangle that they created between Jennifer Jolie, Gail Weathers, and Dewey. Yeah, that was and, weird. And the reason I say that. The reason I say that is because I don't feel like they sold it enough for it to be a triangle. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't get a, give enough time between Jennifer and Dewey to sell that being even an issue. Like I never once felt like he was, you know, not on Gail's side. And and, and yeah. if that was their intent, that's fine. But they tried. There was a there was one scene there when when uh, Jennifer's punched by Gail that they were trying to sell the fact that there was a you know a love triangle going on. And I'm like, no, you didn't establish yeah. that well enough for that to have been that way. Not at all. So. Uh, we're, are we still on the story? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we can move on. I'm just, uh, it's it, it's worth ragging on because no, this 100%. is the story of the bond. It is, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else about the story. So we talked about well, Sydney and her past mom the, trauma. Uh, the actors in the fake stab movie, they're, oh. a lot of them are wasted. Um, yeah. They, they set up a lot with Sydney's stand-in that didn't get paid off, and we'll get into that in the trivia, that there was more there, but they it was cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said Tyson's wasted. Like, what what point does, Ty, you know, the character Tyson Fox, the Randy stand-in, like, he's he doesn't even serve a purpose in the movie. Like he's there one minute gone for most of the movie comes back, gets stabbed like our, her cut and his neck broke and everything else. Like he serves literally no purpose. Yeah. Not memorable. Um, the same thing with, um, um, the, uh, the Sarah Michelle Gellar stand in uh, yeah. McCarthy just in and out of the movie. I mean, which horror movies do have quick deaths. So hers is forgivable. Cause she's just, you know, like one more body to add to the pile. That's, you know, whatever she wasn't followed that much in the movie. So it don't really matter. Uh, and then, um, and, and I get, and I don't, I feel like the character of Stephen Stone Warburton has played a little too comedic for it for what what I think the character should have been in the movie. Like, I mean, he's he's a little I don't I don't I get and it's because Warburton's like a pretty good comedic actor. I mean, he plays Joe on Family Guy of all things, but yeah, I mean, you know, but it's 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 just there's a little too much comedy from him, and I feel like if he'd been more of a gruff character. And given who might have played him here in the trivia here in a second, it would have been a totally different way that it would have been portrayed, and I think it would have been better. But I'll leave it at that on that <laughs> part of it. Uh, anything else you want to add? I, I'm sorry about No, do not apologize it, it, because it, that was all necessary. <laughs> 
it's just it, it it it's watching it and i'm just like now i know why this is the one movie i've never i mean just to have it for completion's sake i'm there's a, like a, a the steel book of this is coming out this year and i'm finally going to buy it this is the one movie that i've never really uh, outside of buying and a pa- buying it in a pack with other movies that i've ever that's the only reason i've ever purchased this movie like i had no desire to go back and revisit this movie otherwise like it's just like yeah. the blip in the series um consider okay in perspective of these three films and just these three films alone they progressively get worse. I mean, Scream 1 started out this icon. Nobody's going to touch that, okay? They're just not. And then it got yeah. a little bit worse with Scream, or a little bit bad with Scream 2 because it wasn't bad at all in Scream 1. And then it got a little bit worse in Scream 3. Um, I will say this, though. Yes, he was a, a lone, I was supposed to say Scarface, Ghostface, but he also is a cinematic movie producer. He knew the areas that he was in, like the back of his hand, where he could do what he was doing. He was also a bigger man that probably had the strength to do some of what he was doing. He had the element of surprise on on his side. And I still buy a single male ghost face such as this character who's trying to produce a horror movie. He's making a real-life horror movie. I still buy that more than any females that have attempted to be ghost face. It uh, definitely uh, some of the ones that comes later. I mean, some yeah. of the, the, I mean, we'll get to it when we discuss four and five, especially because of the females that are in that one. But yeah, there, there's more to it than, but it, there's keen, keen eyed fans that have went back and said it, that there, it's literally impossible for him to have been in all the places he needed to be to kill everybody in this movie. And I don't disagree, but I could see how they could, because you got to remember, it's not something that's happening in split seconds it could be over a span of minutes it could be a span over a half hour you know you do it's all we're seeing is the scenes that matter they're not going to make it as long as it takes for him to huff and puff his way to one other side of the house or whatever and he's got a lot of secret passages he can go through Yeah, it's. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, it, it's there. There, but I think the thing that they were talking about is like the the way that he would have been. Like he, there was two different locations in the movie oh, that he yeah. was back and forth between, and uh, that's the jail where they said that it could have been two of them. Yeah, the jail and then the party. Although they said that he had been released, they didn't say what time he had been released. But I did catch that where something happened. And he was supposedly in jail at the time, being questioned by the police. Again, the only explanation I have is the fact that they said, well, he was released. But they didn't specify what time or that he was just released. They're just like, well, they had nothing on him, so they had to let him go. And it's like, wow, he fucking zoomed it, you know. Hey, like in the movie Clueless, like they said, everywhere takes 15 minutes to get to in in Los Angeles. Uh, That's true. 100% not true. I I. I have been there, okay, and I have driven there, and it does not. <laughs> uh, acting in the movie, I don't feel like there was any bad acting in the movie. I don't feel like it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fine. Um, mm, Jenny McCarthy was intentionally bad. Yeah, the 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 Prince guy is bad, but that's deliberate. I mean, yeah. you know, for the part that he's playing. So there's nothing really there. Uh, music. Um, Maybe this is the one that's got Creed in it. This there's one of these that has like a, the soundtrack that's like way more out there than the other ones, and I'm pretty sure it's this movie. Like you know, listening to it. Yeah. Um. Uh, are you ready for trivia? Kind of blast through these yeah. and kind of wrap this whole thing up. Let's uh, do it. 
Courtney Cox remarked about her relationship with then husband David Arquette in relation to the Scream franchise. I was just flirting with David on the first one. I was sleeping with him on the second, Mm. and we shared a trailer in the third. Poor. (laughs) Patrick Dempsey was hired the day before shooting began. He had one night to learn three big dialogue-heavy scenes. Wait, what? (laughs) Say that one again? He was hired the day before the shooting began, and he literally had one night to learn three big dialogue-heavy scenes. And who? what actor was this? Patrick Dempsey. Oh my uh, God! Me, I believe. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, he's 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 a good seasoned actor, so. Yeah, and and that his ability to do that's probably what helped him on the show too. Yeah. Grey's Anatomy. Uh, throughout the film, Sydney can be seen wearing the Greek letters around her neck that were given to her by her boyfriend Derek in Scream Two shortly before he was killed. I did not fucking catch so, that. That's that's a good little bit of continuity. Yeah. The house used during the climax where most of the killing takes place is the same house used as a school in Halloween H2O 20 years later. Oh, shit. That's a whole fucking school. Yeah. Uh, Nev Campbell's contract allowed her to be on set for just 20 days, which is why Sydney has less screen time than any of the other films. As a result of her role being reduced, more emphasis was put on the supporting characters. Campbell's availability only amounted to three weeks in total, forcing the filmmakers to shoot around her schedule. Get it, girl? Uh, she was... She was filming Drowning Mona Party of F- and, and Party of Five during the production of this film. And because her Drowning Mona character had long streaked hair, Campbell had to wear a wig to play Sidney Prescott, which required two hours of application each morning. Two hours to apply a wig? Have you seen the TikTok videos now? Fucking minutes, bitches. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I don't it's it's weird. It looked so uh, real though. I did not know it was a wig. It, and, it was a good one. Oh, it was definitely yeah. a good one. And fuck, how much money did they fucking pay her what is the amount that she said i can fucking do this because i could never yeah her filming three different things at the same time they better have been paying her damn good money and i'm sure they were that's probably where that bump up to the 40 million came from is just paying her fees on i'm thinking and you know what sorry but she's worth it if she is yeah yeah uh, throughout this movie, the actors and actresses of Stab 3, the movie within the movie, complain about rewrites in three dis- uh, different scripts. The complaints actually originated with the real cast of the movie because of the frequent rewrites and three different endings of the actual Scream 3. Yeah, So but it's a meta of a meta. Meta of, of a meta, meta, yeah. And you can't complain about that because I think that's great for being able to not give away the ending, which was a big thing around this time because the internet was really had really taken off at this point. Yeah, it, it had, and it was like social media and stuff was uh, its infancy, but, I mean, it was getting there, and it was a real possibility that they could have, you know, released it to the public. Uh, Kevin Williamson was unavailable to return to writing duties due to the scheduling conflicts uh, with Dawson's Creek, uh, the faculty, Halloween H2O, and directing Teaching Miss Tingle. God damn. damn. that's a lot on somebody's plate. Yeah. Uh, and some of those are really fucking good things. I mean, like, I really you know, like I the mean, faculty. Yes, <laughs> it's a good movie. Uh, but he did write the outline for the film. Okay. Aaron Kruger all but ignored the outline, however. Ugh, son of a bitch. And his script was mostly written on the fly with pages usually completed the day before they were filmed. That's <laughs> he was literally wild. Re- that explains this movie. Yeah. That explains it. I mean,. The characters bore so little resemblance to their appearances in prior films that director Wes Craven had to do rewrites to get them to be, you know, similar to their previous incarnations. Holy shit. Uh, Lee Schreiber insists that Colton Weary should remove his jacket in the opening sequence because he had been working out at the time and wanted to show off his physique. Ooh, look at you. 
<laughs> in an interview tonight video, uh, uh, pu uh, interview published in August 14th, 2020, David Arquette admitted that he was the one who had suggested then why Courtney Car uh, Courtney Cox cut her hair like oh. Betty Page, thus giving rise to the infamous scream three bangs. Fans hated the new look and, and derided it for years, which even led to a and that's the first thing I fucking noticed when she walked on the screen. I was like, what the fuck did she do to herself? Whoever, because I mean, yeah, those were not Betty Page bangs at all. No, they're, they're not. No, those are someone hacked her hair. Somebody took the scream knife and fucking tried to cut her in the head and missed and got her bangs. <laughs> it was, it's so fucking bad. Like, I mean, you go from her in part two and she's so smoking hot to this one, just like three years later. And she looks like she's aged 40 <laughs> years because of her haircut. Yeah. yeah it's bad. And I'm with David Arquette. That could have looked good. It really, cause she could have pulled that off. Had it been done right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, she, she had the, the frame for the face mm -hmm. uh, that would have worked, but it just, they didn't do it right. I tried to do the Betty Page bangs. It did not work out for me at all. <laughs> it wasn't like that, though. Uh, thankfully, uh, yeah. for your sake. The only film in the series to feature Ghostface using a voice changer to imitate other voices perfectly as a way to mess with his victims. This was a source of criticism for viewers and critics as the series had mostly been grounded in reality until this point, and such technology veered dangerously close to science fiction territory. Uh they could actually do that in the new films now because I think deep yeah. fakes could get them oh, what they yeah. want because those deep those deep fakes of Joe Biden, uh, yeah. Trump, and Obama playing video games are fucking on point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's scary. Back, yeah, but back in the day, no, they th this was totally stupid for that time period. Yeah. Uh, Sydney was written in earlier drafts of the script to have been suicidal yeah. in addition to suffering nightmares and PTSD. There was a scene in the script where Sydney goes to the bathroom and checks out her scars on her wrist from a failed suicide attempt, but this was written out in later drafts. I don't know how I feel about this because I almost feel like that's a better, that would have better fit her character at this point than what they introduced in the movie, but it's, um, it's very yeah, dark. It's dark. For the movie they were making too. So it, it, totally it wouldn't have fit, but it, it actually would have been a better thing for her character, I think. I hate to agree with you, but like, I, I, I think that it would have worked. You know, she has been, you cannot deny or turn a fucking, turn the other way on the fact that she has been through some major, major shit. And I could totally empathize and understand why she would want a way out. Yeah, she, I mean, she's lost every one of her friends and, and family up to this. The only person she got left is her dad, Dewey, and Gail, and Gail's not even her friend. She barely stands Gail. Yeah. And, I mean, and and it's, uh, it, this, I mean, just psychologically, that fits way better than that fucking ghost. I mean, it really does. <laughs> um. At one point, Gail makes a comment that Jennifer Jolie was in a relationship with Brad Pitt. Coincidentally, the two actresses are characters named after Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie, both Ooh. of whom were married to Brad Pitt. Wow. <laughs> At certain points af the after this film's release. Yes. After. So this is like life imitating art. Absolutely. Folks. Oh, my God. <laughs> um. The stab cast are all named after actors who were popular around the time of the film's release. The The character named Jennifer Jolie is a combination of Jennifer and Angelina Jolie. Angelina Tyler is Angelina Jolie and Liv Tyler. Oh, nice. Tom Prince is a combination of Tom Cruise and Freddie, Freddie Prince, Prince Jr. Yep. Uh, Tyson Fox is a, is probably derived from the names of Tyson Beckford and Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. 
And then Sarah Darling is an unflattering parody of Sarah Michelle Gellar, who we've said before. Uh, and then Dar- and the reason that, that she's the stand-in is because Darling was the derogatory na- nickname that Wes Craven had for Michelle Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was actually offered the role of Bianca Burnett, but uh, Bianca Burnett, but she uh, turned it down. Boo. Um, that would have fit better than uh, as much as I liked Carrie Fisher's oh, yeah. little role in this, having Jamie Lee Curtis be the oh, one that they're God. talking to would have been perfect. Have you seen Jamie Lee Curtis speak? Cause this is technically a comedic role. That particular character was a comedic role. Have you seen Jamie Lee Curtis in the most recent Reno 911 reboot? I haven't. No. Oh my God. It's one episode. You need to try to catch it. I caught, I caught it on my Roku, but, uh, she, she plays like this horror convict that escapes, but she plays. She's pretending she's a cop giving training, and she's literally sleeping with every cop in the precinct. And it's just so funny because, like, she's such a good actress. It doesn't seem cheesy at all. She does such a good job playing a pervert that I'm like, she can do comedic, obviously. You know. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to ask you this. So, did you watch Scream Queens, the very first episode yet? No, not... Wait, no, I didn't, no. Okay. When you watch that, uh, she's playing the uh, college dean, mm-hmm. and she is sleeping with everybody in that, <laughs> that, that particular role. It's oh hilarious God. that you mention that because she's playing the same exact character, and it's also comedic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. She's such a whore. Uh, yeah, and it's funny because she played a prostitute and um, uh, especially trading places. But I want to say, didn't she play one in A Fish Called Wanda? I think she did play like a, it was, if not a prostitute, it was somebody close to She that, was promiscuous you know, at, at, yes. at least. So, yeah. Uh, I think that was her trying to get away from her virginal Laurie Strode character, though. Um, yeah. Uh, Christopher Walken was considered for the role of John Milton. <laughs> I like. I think I like Lance Henriksen better. Yeah, because Christopher Walken's a little too weird to pull that character. Uh, Henriksen has enough of the. He can play creepy enough to where he sold the Weinstein of it all. But I don't think Walken, yeah. even though he can play, we we already talked about it in prophecy. He plays a good bad guy. But yeah, like he plays an odd bad guy. Yeah, like, he think, does. I don't think it would have worked as well with him in that role. I have to agree with you. Stone Cold Steve Austin was the one that was considered for the role of Stephen Stone instead of Warburton. Which clearly Stephen Stone was named after him. Yes. You know, and not only that, but I totally could see that. And if he would have played the part, you know he would have been way more direct and less comedic than Warburton was in that character. Yeah. I think I would have preferred it with Stone Cold, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I, you know, Stone Cold's not the best actor. We've already talked about Bautista's probably one of the best uh, wrestler turn actors. Yeah. But Stone Cold can play a good dramatic role. He's been in a few films that I've seen him in, and he, he can play that character pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Paul Walker, Josh Hartnett, James Vanderbeek, and Jonathan L. Jackson were considered for the role of Tom Prince. Nope. Nope. Nope and nope. And I will tell you why. Because the actor that played, uh, what do you call it, Tom Prince, looked yeah. just like Doofy from Scary Movie. He did. At the I, end when I he shows his sexy self. Yeah, I was like, is that the same actor? And so, yeah, it, it's a no from me. Yeah, just for that connection. Although I think... 
Vanderbeek could have played the the snark enough to you know like the character he, he could have carried the character the way it was supposed to be played yeah because uh, I've seen him in stuff after that it's just I, I he wouldn't have he, like you said you would lose the connection to scary movie which was hilarious uh, David Boreanaz was considered for the role of Mark Kincaid instead of Patrick Dempsey. I could see it, and he is because Patrick Dempsey looks a little bit. He's still a young guy in this film, but he still looks way older than Sydney. And yeah, I don't know. he also I, there's something about Dempsey, Patrick Dempsey, that I can't like. He's got one of those faces that you can tell he naturally, or at least he progress. Maybe this is a Jensen Ackles thing going back to that conversation, mm-hmm. but he's got a face that makes it look like he smiles a lot. Whereas Boreanis has got more of the, yes. the frowning face, and I and I would I would have bought Boreanis better as like a police detective yeah. versus Dempsey because Dempsey looks a little too friendly to be a police detective. In my yeah, opinion. I will say this about Dempsey though: he did play a good character that looked guilty at times. Yeah, that's true. When he, they accused him of being guilty. He of the red herring. Yes. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that worked out. So, I'm not going to, like, I'm not disrespecting Dempsey's, you know, portrayal. I just definitely could see David Boreanaz in, in the role. Yeah, I think he would have played it more serious because that's a character he's always played, like Bones, Angel. He's the serious actor, you know, or even in Valentine, as we discussed. Um, Alicia Silverstone was offered the role of Angelina Tyler, but turned it down. Ironically, uh, in Scream uh, 2022, it, would, it was revealed in Universe that Silverstone was the one who played the stab version of Tatum, <laughs> oh originally played by Rose McGowan. That's so funny. It's so funny how they bring those ties right back, you know? Yeah, they just go back and they loop in the real life stuff to the, the movies. Uh, Claire Danes. Christine, Christy Clark, Allison Hannigan, Kelly Martin, and Eliza Dushku were considered for the role of Angelina Tyler. Um, mm. Not Hannigan. No, not definitely. Hannigan. Not Danes. Uh, Dushku might have done well. Yeah, honestly. I'm thinking Dushku definitely. Um, I, I think that, I mean, if you're talking about the person who was supposed to be the red herring and possibly the other, or the Sydney stand-in, I think Dushku actually would have been the best. Yeah, I'm with of, you on that you know, one. Maybe better than the one they got in the movie. Yeah, because uh, Angel- the girl who played Angelina Tyler looked like a tall, skinny model. She didn't look like Sydney at all. And I know that doesn't always work out when you're doing films like this, but, I mean, it's like they didn't even try. Yeah, they, they didn't they didn't even attempt to get somebody. I mean, she had the innocent look, but I don't feel like Sid ever looked that innocent as to what as the character that the, the stand in for her was trying to look like. You know, she wasn't she wasn't that baby faced. I mean, yeah, I never got that from Sydney. Uh, Liv Tyler, Kate Winslet, Shannon Doherty, uh, Charisma Carpenter, and Jennifer Connelly were all considered for the role of Christine Hamilton, uh, Cotton Weary's girlfriend. Um. um Maybe Kate Winslet. Um, I don't I, know. Charisma Carpenter seems like she would have been too young because maybe yeah, she would have. I mean, like I know she was like early twenties, but like she still had a very youthful appearance, mm-hmm. and like which is why she could know, play a teenager for so fucking long. Yeah, so I don't know that she would have looked old enough like the actress who actually did play Christine. And then Liv Tyler, I don't, I mean, she was super young looking too because it was around, it's, it's funny that her and Alicia Silverstone were considered because they were both like in uh, Aerosmith's videos around yeah. this time, I feel like, you know, so or right weird. before this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel Shannon like though, Doherty, the actress that did play Christine, Christine Hamilton, I think she looked a little too old for the character. 
Well, I don't know. I kind of feel like because uh, Cotton Weary was kind of an older. I mean, Leif Schreiber looked older too, so yeah. they needed somebody that, unless they wanted him to kind of go on the younger side. And I, I, Shannon Doherty might have been the only one of this bunch that might have had the face that would have pulled yeah. off like an age in his range or something. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a little bit closer. Uh, Benicio del Toro was considered for the role of Roman Bridger. Mm, love Benicio del Toro. I mean, I have a uh, child named after him, but. I I don't see I don't see it. I don't see it either. Yeah, I, getting the the generic white dude that can blend into the background was way better because Benicio has a very definite look to him. Oh, he I does. Mean, he, yeah, he's a great actor. I'm not, you know, but he he would have stood out like you'd been like that's bad guy. That's I could have seen like, him playing playing the what the the executive that the Weinstein version. I could have seen him doing that kind of. <sighs> Yeah, well, they needed, but you got to remember what age he would have been at the That's time of this true. movie. He would, he would have been young. He would have probably played a good. Uh, he would have played that uh, that Stone character uh, decently, I think, because he has that imposing look about him when he yeah. wants to. So he could have played the bodyguard pretty well. Yeah, but, uh, not Roman. Yeah, he would have stood out too I much. Don't, yeah, I don't think Rachel, so. Rachel True, Carrie Russell, Alyssa Milano, and Denise Richards were considered for the role of Christine Hamilton. Now, first off. It's hilarious, Alyssa Milano, given her history with Rose McGowan. And then secondly, Denise Richards and her history, you know, or at least co-starring in Wild Things that they were even considered. I think that's hilarious. Christine Hamilton again? Because the other girls were also Liv Tyler, Kate Winslet, Shannon Doherty. All of these women yeah. were considered for Christine. Jesus Christ. She dies. Well, I guess, okay, never mind. It's the, it's the Drew Barrymore factor. Yeah, it was the Drew Barrymore. I think. If you're talking about this group, Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell, 100%, especially having seen her. She is a very underrated actress. She would have probably been the, uh, Carrie Russell's in Mm -hmm. Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear, that's what I'm saying, yeah. um, She would have been the, she would probably been the best pick of all these alternatives, I think. And she was very well known for the time. She was, if not more, especially because of her acting chops, where she was just as known for the Noxzema shit, you know, as, what's her name? The other Noxzema chick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're all bleeding in at this are oh, you talking about gay heart yeah, yes gay heart and and the going talking about that is that that was just very iconic for these times so her face alone in the movies and the commercials she was very well known she would have been a perfect person to die at the beginning yes that's true yeah she and she would have stood up more than the actress they got to play christine okay honestly. hang tight reverend got something going on at the door i'll be right back so next we have and potential casting Tara Reed, Monica. Um, I, I didn't give a last name, so maybe that's what she went by. And Allie Larder were considered for the role of Sarah Darling. Um, at this point in time, Allie Larder and Tara Reed, either one would have been fine mm-hmm. for a stand-in for uh, for uh, Jane McCarthy's character. One hundred percent, I go with Tara Reed. I think she was more iconic uh, for the time. Yeah, and she was pretty well known coming right off of the American Pie movies. That would have stood out pretty yeah. well. Uh, although I don't, I think it was around this time too that Allie Larder got big with her role in uh, speaking of Vanderbeek with uh, Varsity Blues. So I don't know who would have been, you know, more of a standout name, honestly. Yeah. <clears throat> Going back to Cruel Intentions, Selma Blair and then Terry Hatcher were considered for the role of Jennifer Jolie. <sighs> Uh, I like Park 
Kraposi and the character. She she's got enough of the the Gale energy that that yeah. I don't really. Terry Hatcher could have pulled it off. Terry Hatcher, I feel like, could be an alt world. Yes. Uh, Gail Weather, Courtney Cox, Gail Weather's one hundred percent because she's played that character before. Hell, she played it for years on the Adventures of Lois and Clark. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, that's the character she played. That's true. I didn't even and think then, about uh, that. And she was younger at this time, because uh, I'm thinking that she's older. Well, she was definitely older than Selma Blair. I think that with Parker Posey, they were going for a younger version of Gail Weathers. Um, and that's why I think Selma Blair could have pulled it off because she could have been a younger version. And Selma Blair can play a bitch. So. Oh, 100%. She plays one in Cruel Intentions, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There was something about her. Like, she she didn't quite have the full-on Renee Zellweger squint, but she had something going on that was like that mm-hmm. and that was slightly off-putting. Like, I don't uh, – that's the only thing that would have thrown her off. She could have played the bitch part, but I don't think she could have stood in as much as, as Gail as yeah. what Parker Posey did. Um, but you're 100% right about uh, Terry Hatcher just looking – she she looks like a, a Hollywood actress that would play the version, true life version of a character that looks like that person, you know? Oh, yeah. She she would have played Gail in the Hollywood version in that universe. Yeah. Uh, the made-for-TV version, at least. Uh, Taya Leone was cons- strong considered for the role of Jennifer Jolie and Good was God. called back several times was called back several times during casting, but filmmakers ultimately decided uh, Parker Posey was more suitable and was cast instead. Yeah, I'm going to go with Parker Posey on this one. Taya Leone has always had an older, mature-looking face. Not older as an old, but just mature woman face. And something else about Taya uh, Leone, back in this time period especially, she was known way more as like a very sexual actress like her roles even uh, like i feel like every role she was in like had some element of like and like i never like the character in the movie and they could have went that way if they wouldn't lean into it but i feel like the character in the movie needed to be slightly goofy but then like also like annoying and like i i've never really got that from taylor leone in either role she's more like a seductress type you know actress and like most of the movies she's ever been in yeah uh, especially like bad boys, like that the, that type of character she played, you know, the movies like that. I just don't remember her in that. I don't remember her in a lot of things, but I'm looking at her, you know, um, movies and everything, and I'm just like, God, how do I not remember her in half of these? Well, I was a, a young man when she was in her prime. So oh, that makes her. sense, yes. I remember her very fondly. I'll just put it that way. Uh, Feruza Balk, speaking of somebody I remember fondly too, uh, was considered for the role of Martha Meeks, uh, Randy's sister. And it's funny, we mentioned her a while ago since she's one of the few you know, uh, craft uh, castmates to Nev Campbell that never really went on to this movie series. Um I don't know how I feel about that because I feel like she's 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 that weird kind of pretty that I don't feel like would fit for for Randy's sister. Like I buy the the girl that they got to play a sister as his sister. She's got that geeky look to her. Oh my uh, god! Like, oh my god! You know who she could play? She could play like a psycho aunt or somebody related to fucking um. Oh god, uh, Wednesday Adams. Oh, she she definitely could. Yeah. yeah, like she she could play an Adams family member for sure. But not um, not Adams, not specifically. I'm talking about the the actress that plays Wednesday. Oh, Jenna Ortega. Okay, yes, I got you. Even though she's yeah. not Latina, she she has got some weird. Like Jenna Ortega has that huge weird smile. She claims she never smiles. She's a fucking liar. Um, <laughs> she definitely could play like a. Uh, you know, a relation to Jenna Ortega or whatever. Because if we learn nothing in these films, there's always a psycho family member somewhere in the background just waiting to get their fucking 
you know, ghost face fame or whatever. <laughs> that's true. It's it's always the family that, or uh, or a you know boyfriend that's yeah. in the fifth movie. So, but anyway, she. I'm, what I'm saying is, there's still hope for her. Yeah, I just don't. Uh, she's she's got that weirdly hot looks that would not fit for Randy. It just uh, as his sister, she would look too too different. I mean. I don't, I don't, that wouldn't have been good cast. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, Heather Locklear was considered for the role of Bianca Burnett. Um, I don't get that one at all. I, I think they went the right way. If they weren't going to get Jamie Lee Curtis, they should have. Yeah. I mean, they went with Carrie Fisher, that old Hollywood yeah. or, you know, like older Hollywood that, I mean, I know Heather Locklear was, but she was known more for TV. And also yeah. I feel like she, she got most of her fame in the mid nineties anyways, playing um, on Melrose place anyways. So yeah, like, I was going to try to like explain why it would work, but I can't because she's so, especially at this time, She's so fucking gorgeous. And she, for the most part, aged pretty well up until most recently. But fuck, you can only do so much, you know? Yeah. Who would the, who the fuck in their right mind would put her in the basement? Yeah, that she would, she would have still been a, a, you know, she would have been an actual actress. I mean, her looks would have put her there. I mean, it wouldn't have been, I mean, you can say what you want to about Princess Leia and the slave bikini, you know, you know, whatever. But like, I mean, Carrie Fisher was never a, it was no non-traditional beauty. She wasn't like the typical Hollywood, but Heather Locklear was straight up. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, we talked about Jenna Jameson and her prime, same thing with Heather Locklear. I mean, and they, I think they even dated the same guys. So yeah. I mean. Heather Locklear <laughs> there. So there's some unflattering photos of her, um, She's out with no makeup. She's older. You can tell the woman has not really had any work done on her. But then there's another photo of her uh, as of recently, and she's wearing makeup. Now, makeup does, we we can do some amazing things with makeup. It's not changing her face at all, but it it does, it make for me, I feel like it makes me look more awake. It makes me look less tired. makes me look a little bit younger, not excessively. And I think that Heather Locklear, she is just a natural beauty that, um, you know, she has chosen not to go the plastic surgery route, and I commend her for that. Yeah, that uh, it's it's crazy the the way that they'll butcher themselves to mm-hmm. look, you know try to retain that youth or whatever. Yeah, so she has aged gracefully. Uh, following the Columbine High School massacre, there was a conscious effort to make this installment less grisly and violent than the previous films. At one point, the studio suggested that the new film show no blood or on-screen violence <laughs> at all. At which point, Wes Craven threatened to walk. I don't blame him. Uh, yeah, you talk about a shit that would have destroyed. They wouldn't have came back with a reboot or anything if it would have been that way. I mean, there was guns in this film, but it wasn't to the to the extent of a mass shooting by any means. Uh, no, and it was mostly uh, but, stabbings. Well, and we'll get back to it here in a second. I mean, I think it comes up again in the trivia, but yeah, it's it's a different concept. But you, you people react. I mean, like there was a lot of movies that had nothing to do with like bombings that were shelved around the same time as nine eleven, just because they, you know, they were like, no, we we got to have feel good movies. Yeah. We can't have any of this stuff. Um, at around one hour and 45 minutes, when Sydney jumped over the bar and stabbed the killer in the back with an ice pick, Nev Campbell missed the pad that she was supposed to plunge the, uh, into and actually hit Scott Foley's flesh. His scream in that scene is actual <laughs> genuine. That's fucked up, but that's hilarious. <laughs> 
Uh, in 2009 interview, Matthew Lillard claimed that he had been contracted to reprise his role as a primary antagonist, having survived his apparent death in Scream 1996, orchestrating new ghost face attacks in prison on high school students and ultimately targeting Sydney. Uh, following the Columbine High School uh, massacre shortly before production began, they scrapped that because they didn't want to have it tied to the high school setting and, and the associated violence. Now, I get that, why they didn't yeah. want that with Columbine, but how cool would that have been fucking to have Matthew Willard back and him being the mastermind? Now, you, they, Oh, my God, that's an alternate universe that we're living in the dark yeah. timeline of because that would have been awesome. But this is the third film. I feel like it would have been mentioned in the second film that he survived. Um like, I feel like they would have had to have kn- at least known about a funeral that happened for Billy and Stu or and or Stu. I don't know, not at the same time, but, you know. I would say that, but they're still talking about him being in part six. It's coming up here in a couple of weeks. So uh, Yeah, we'll so see. I'm very curious to see how that goes and how they explain away the fact that, you know, how the fuck did he survive and how did no one know he, know he survived? And... Sydney yeah, would be on high alert if he were yeah, still yeah, alive. Sydney would have never relaxed at all Mm-mm. and did anything if she'd known he was still out there. Yeah. Uh, at around 14 minutes, Tyson Fox, Dion Richmond, says that Cotton Weary's uh, murder was probably some stab fan pissed off that they killed Randy and stabbed too, which is a reference to Scream Fanatics being upset that <laughs> I was probably one of them, uh, upset that Randy was killed in Scream 2. Uh, Wes Craven got hate email at his official website because the character was killed. It was the upset fans that led to the idea of Randy surviving Scream 2 as a twist later, uh, but then later changed to a video recording. Um, and he could so, have survived. Like I said, Dewey fucking if, if got Dewey slashed. Did, he yeah. could have, yes. Um, according to the commentary about uh, director Wes Craven, Angelina Tyler, uh, Emily Mortimer, was supposed to be the second killer, as we've discussed earlier, as Roman Bridger's girlfriend and ex-classmate of Sydney from Scream. But the producers didn't like the idea as this was part of an incestuous fantasy subplot with Roman, who thought of having sex with Angelina as having sex with Sydney herself. Uh, the, ch- the change was also, well, that would have been an interesting twist, and it plays back to a lot of psycho stuff with him and his mom, but that's but we'll leave that there. Yeah. The change was also to distance the film further from the Columbine shooting so as to not to have the two killers working together just like the real killers of said tragedy. Okay. So one of the reasons why they only had one killer is so there wouldn't be two shooter you know two killers like columbine okay. which is dumb but that's whatever uh due to angelina tyler no longer being the second killer in the film this caused a plot hole with roman bridger being the only killer he's somehow able to tele- travel very long distances and practically teleport uh between them to commit all the Im- implausible murders and mainly in these instances angelina was unaccounted for as she was going to be the killer when roman wasn't around hence evangelina being the second killer still remain in the film yes i caught those uh, Angelina, especially that scene where she's talking to Sydney, all creepy in the bathroom recreation of like her high school bathroom or whatever. That they was a perfect setup there that she was trying to be be Sydney or whatever. Uh, Angelina's death, where her body is mysteriously dragged away as Gail and Jennifer look on in horror, was intentionally shot with a sense of ambiguity, according to Patrick Lussier and uh, Marianne uh, Madalini or uh, Madalina in the audio commentary, who called her death scene dubious. This was. This was to leave uh, a suggestion that she was a ghost face as it wouldn't be the first time a ghost face faked their own death to clear their name. She would have came back and revealed herself alive after Sydney arrives at the mansion, according to the original script. Her death, quote-unquote, on uh, scene was originally intended to be a fake-out. Um, That's fucking Roman wild. Thinking, yeah, and 
she's technically the only, if you want to go by the canon that she didn't die, which a lot of fans have, she's the only ghost face to have got away with it. Oh yeah. Um, and there, so, uh, Roman faking his own death has been singled out for criticism ever since the film's release. The fact that he's the only killer in the film makes his fake death seem very far fetched to pull off as nobody would have helped him stage it. Along with the fact that Gail checked his pulse and seemingly verified that he's dead, which I noticed and this made no oh, fucking sense. I didn't catch that. Yeah, she leans in there and she actually checks his pulse and she's like, oh, and then she screams or whatever because he's supposedly dead. It's like, yeah. how bad are you at getting a pulse? Goddamn. Uh, Wes Craven tried to explain this plot hole by saying that there was all, there was are ways to slow down your pulse in real life without causing death, but such an explanation is never given in the film. Um, and he's right, and it's also right that he never explains it, so it sucks. Um, death Holler Awards, we got Sydney back. Limited presence, we've already talked about in real life, the reasons why. Uh, this is the least the uh, performance by Sydney. And it, I mean, she does a good job, but I mean, she's yeah. just not there. She's not. Uh, there's at one point where Parker Posey's almost a better, uh, more of a final girl than Sydney is. Yeah. Um, I don't. I actually, I would prefer it if they would have made Parker like a final girl. But you know, I, I guess that that was their way of killing Gail without killing Gail on this yeah. movie was to have her stand in get killed. Uh, slasher Roman, he sucks. I I don't <laughs> like him as the killer. I don't. <laughs> What's your thoughts on him? Um. It's weird because I, I, I did. I did like him. I didn't hate him. There are a lot of things that don't make sense, but I, I like him more than I liked what's her name, uh, Lori, in the first film or the second film. I think that I, I think it goes back to the retcon uh, taken away from Stu and uh, Billy that I think I, I disliked the most. If yeah. it weren't for that, I think I could have forgiven him, and he'd been he'd just been okay. But it's he edges in the bad territory because of that. Yeah, and I don't blame you for that at all. I mean, I that just didn't enter my brain, and I'm I guess I'm holding on to what I perceive what happened. So that's why I'm like, ah, it's not bad, you know. Uh, the best kill is the explosion. Oh it's yeah, that's character deserved it uh he was completely stupid that, that i'm gonna skip ahead it's also the dumbest moment uh, of, uh of this movie and oh yeah on the in the entire series uh parker going back in there and it's like i gotta read the facts i gotta read the next slide it's oh like, yeah you don't gotta read shit what this is dumb he, they want to know who's gonna there. survive which is hilarious yeah. um i'm gonna say a close second for me was when sarah darling died because that was very jason Voorhees. Yeah, that 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 was uh, that was not too bad of a kill. That was probably the second best kill in the movie because the rest mm -hmm. of them were fairly standard. I yeah, mean, you know, stabs, you know, whatever, uh, gunshots, that sort of thing. Um, the best scream, uh, I'm giving it to Jennifer Jolie. Like, there's uh, she screams her head off at the scene where Tom gets blown up. So I mean, uh, Parker went out of her way to scream in that scene. So I give her that much. Mm -hmm. Um, she also was screaming pretty well at the end of the movie where she's like seeing through that two-way glass or whatever. Yeah. Uh, which just says a whole other thing about Harvey Weinstein having the two-way glass yes. and the fact that there's people getting raped on the other side of the, uh, it's gross. Um, best, I, I'm going to throw in here. I wouldn't throw it in any of these other movies. Best boobs. I'm, I'm just leaving in for this. They had Jenny McCarthy. 
oh, I'm so mad. Yes. The, none of these movies show breasts because if anybody in any of these movies was going to show them, it should have been Jenny McCarthy and it should have been in this movie. So uh, you, you, you wasted an opportunity. Okay. Am I crazy? Have, was this like the first set of boobs she had and they got bigger over time? Oh, they were bigger and later on. For okay. Sure, yeah. Okay. Cause I'm like, is like, I put, cause they looked almost natural. And I was like, look at her fucking, those are the most impressive implants I've seen. Cause I know she has implants. She's had them for a long time. Uh, as far as I know, she was flat chested before she got implants. Um, I thought these looked very natural considering yeah, this. they're not. I feel like this was right around the time that she was unsingled out with uh, Chris Hardwick or whatever. Whenever yes. she was like re- her and Carmen. I mean, I think I don't know if Carmen Electra came before or after her, but like, you know, the, this was around the same time. And that's whenever she started standing out and getting all these and get like the playboy issues and all that. Yeah. stuff. So um, I think she was the one that was after because at first I was like, who the fuck is this blonde bimbo? But then because she was wild on there. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. Actually, you know, she's not that bad. Yeah, she had she brought more comedy to the. Yeah. To the, show than like uh carmen did carmen was just straight up like sex bomb like that's what she was there for and that's what she did and jenny like joked around and stuff on the show um best killer motive uh there's only the one and this is roman it's mommy issues again different Mm -hmm. different flavor same thing blame sydney for the life that he never got to live but he's living a fucking way better life than she does yeah, but somehow, but but she got to spend time with mommy and he didn't. You oh, know? my my apologies. I got a question. The Weinstein character was that um was that Roman Bridger's dad? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. It was hinted that 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 was he. Yeah, uh, Milton was supposed to have been his father. And, okay, or and that you know, and then that's and that's why that she gave him away or whatever okay. because she didn't want to, you know, live that life. She wanted to start fresh and all that stuff. Okay, which makes sense because I'm like, well, first of all, he's like, well, you know, go tell everybody we'll cut cake in just a minute. And then there's the whole, he, he lived a way better fucking life than Sydney yeah, ever was going to live. And it's like, which is he, so hilarious. Um, Nancy Loomis has the most boring one. He's probably got the dumbest yeah. uh, of all of them. I mean, and I, and I say dumb, I mean, I know there's ones later that are all movie related, but I mean, this one, it's just like, you know, he doesn't really have a reason to blame Sydney. It's, it's the dumbest reason why he's blaming her. Like, I mean, he's, you know, we've already discussed it. He obviously was raised by good people. He got back in the he got up into Hollywood just like his you know pseudo or I mean his his real dad you know even if yeah. there, it was a bad situation there so he had no reason to blame Sydney that that's kind of a dumb thing definitely. Um, uh, Gail is kind of the doom prophet in this movie. She's the one that's like oh god it's it's they're back again I've got to investigate this. She's the one that's pushing the because uh, Dewey doesn't uh, doesn't even act like he really cares other than yeah. the fact he's just trying to keep uh, Parker safe in this one. But um, it's kind of weird having Gail being the one that cares. I which, mean, and we I mean, which it's not a cares in the sense that she really cares about people getting killed. But I mean. Um, it's it's just weird. <laughs> What's weird about it is that Dewey was on set kind of as a, oh, I was there, I lived this, so I can help you guys with the direction of the film. But Parker had said, oh, well, he makes me feel safe, and I know that's probably uh, to kind of get them in that love triangle, whatever. But, like, she didn't have anything to be afraid of at the moment because there was no killings going on. Yes, eventually killings started happening, but she didn't need him there as a bodyguard. 
No, and she already had Stone, yeah. which was, I mean, Warburton versus, yeah, I mean, you're, you got one guy that's like the Terminator versus Dewey that looks like, you know, I mean, he just, you know, stepped out of high school. I mean, it's it, it's kind of laughable in that sense. Exactly. So, I don't know. That <laughs> that part wasn't making sense. I, I, to be honest with you, really didn't like Parker Posey's character. I kind of don't like her in a lot of her roles for the, she because she kind of plays the same character. She and, plays and, a bitch, yeah. I mean, honestly. So, that's, which I is mean, good. I mean, if you, that's, you're playing an unlikable character, it's just, I don't know. She, I, she gets to be annoying to me sometimes. So, but uh, she she was useful in the film. She, it wasn't anything like, oh, they could have done without her. They couldn't have. I mean, she does play a good version of Gail. Yeah. I mean, and she was beneficial in the film, too. I mean, in terms of getting Gail into places that Gail couldn't get into and things like that. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, best side character, Randy, again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's the only highlight in the movie. Uh, uh, Stephen Stone's Mabius. Uh, I mean, Warburton has got his own charisma, his own goofy charisma. Uh, I mean, when he's on short few amount of times he's on camera, uh, I think I feel like everybody else that was in the stab movie, you know, uh, yeah. in, within the movie, were all kind of just bodies. They didn't really stand out. Well, I mean, yeah, it was, it was there. Neither of those two for me, and I will tell you a character that did stand out to me that I think was the best side character, and that was uh, Sydney's golden retriever. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I did not get his name. I just realized right now, like, oh my god, that was this movie. Uh, dumbest moment we've already said going back and reading the facts. Yeah. So, <laughs> got uh, what he deserved. Yep. Uh, anything else to wrap this up? Um, I, I it, like you said, it's diminishing returns on all of these. Um, it's <laughs> Scream is, you know, a classic, modern day classic. I mean, I don't know how modern day now. I mean, time marches on and all that, but then like you know, progressively worse. Uh, this being the most hated of all the movies by most of the fans. Um, uh, I just, I, that's, I mean, that's just how they fall. And I mean, I know that's kind of stereotypical for, but I mean, I feel like other franchises don't necessarily, I mean, Friday the 13th, for instance, like it was the fourth and sixth movies that were some of the best in that series. And yeah. I mean, part one's actually the, I mean, I'm glad that what it did, but like it never, like it wasn't lighting the world on fire for what it was. Whereas this one, it's like they started out super strong. Yeah. And they're like, let's go back to the whale one more time. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It, it's a tough one because this is supposed to be the trilogy and they decided to keep going on. It, 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 it has to be just a money grab, you know? Um, it's hard to to discuss further without starting to getting into the other film. So we should probably wrap it up here. And once we get to the final, final, well, I won't we'll be the final, final, because then we'll have the sixth to review in March. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. We're, so coming up, we're going to have the two, or we're going to have two more uh, screen films to discuss with the uh, Tag of the Beast for Tragedy Girls and uh, being Tragedy Girls, and then we're going to discuss as a pres- special presentation, Scream 6, to kind of wrap all this up whenever it actually debuts in theaters here in a couple of weeks. So yeah. uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, and with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit. Take a little walk to the edge of town and go across the track Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom as it ships 
and crack. Where secrets lie in the border fires and the humming wires. Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back. Past the square, past the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. He's a man, he's a guru 
You're one microscopic cog in his catastrophic plan Designed and directed by his red right hand 